Support our programming at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Become a patron, and your contributions can help unlock bonus shows from RFR, online hangouts with the Rebel Force Radio crew, and more. Say it loud and say it proud. Support Rebel Force Radio. Click on the Patreon banner at rebelforceradio.com or visit patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, makers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Sidetoys.com. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, well, here we are again for our seventh in a series of film commentaries with our very special guest, Sam Whitwer. We know that these are these are shows that you look forward to a great deal. We look forward to a great deal. Any chance we have to sit down with uh, our pal Sam, who's not just a, a Star Wars fan and, of course, a, a a member of the creative team of uh, of Star Wars, playing characters such as Starkiller from uh, the Force Unleashed video games, uh, as well as uh, Darth Maul in uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, and Palpatine. My gosh, you can't get much bigger than that in Star Wars in uh, in Rebels also. So Sam will be joining us uh, very shortly. Uh, now, I know what some of you are saying. Well, didn't you already do this? Yes, we did. But that was, the, you know, we had so much to say right after seeing the film. We had to kind of get it out there. But I like to think of it as a dry run, a dry run for what you're about to hear in just a few moments. But I'm not going to do it alone. No way. No, sir. Got to bring him on. My good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars, The Force Awakens fans. Yes, this has been one of the most anticipated commentary tracks. So many people have been writing us. When are you going to Shanghai Sam and get him locked and loaded to do a TFA commentary? Well, finally, it's happening, and tonight is the night, and we're so proud to bring it to you. I have my 3D glasses on right now. I don't know if the film is going to be in 3D, but I, as a matter of fact, I know it's not going to be, but just to get in the mood, you know? <laughs> just in case? Yeah, you know, I stood in line outside my house for the last couple of days uh, just to get pumped up for this thing. You know, uh, we had the tent out there and stuff. Um, 
Uh, it's it's hard to reinforce your place in line when you're the only person in line. Um, a little bit of that magic got lost, but I'm ready, man. I am ready for the Force Awakens. Uh, this is uh, <laughs> this is great. Yeah, you know, I had my own Force Friday last week. As a matter of fact, I I slept outside the Toys R Us and. <laughs> Local authorities scoop me off the pavement <laughs> at four in the morning, but that's okay. I'm ready, you know. I'm I'm reliving the the, the excitement, and uh, I'm so excited to watch it with Sam. And of course, yeah, you're right, Jason. We did do a previous commentary track, just you and me, our our, our top secret screening of the Force Awakens that happened months ago. But now we're back with Sam, and you know what? Before this year's over, there might be one or two more commentaries for the force awakens coming from the rebel force radio family so you never know what's going to pop up in your feed but this this week really i'm very excited to be presenting star wars the force awakens with jason swank sam witwer and myself so let's all right we're going to get right into it here we've got uh sam witwer joining us as he does with all of our audio commentary sam i don't know if you know this there's a new star wars movie well, really yeah so while you're here you want to talk about it I mean, want to watch it? Yes, we're we're here. Sure, this we'll is an exclusive. It. Sam Witwer watching episode one, seven for the first time, ladies and gentlemen. No, <laughs> the not the first time. time. How many times have you seen it, Sam? Oh, I've I've seen this one. I think uh, ninety three times. I think ninety three times. Wow, you got uh, a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, yeah, really. I know. I, I barely. I don't really know this film. <laughs> How many times no. at the theater though? Five. I, I, I five timers club I think it was around five, something like that. I think uh, so. Yeah, like everyone wanted to go see it, so I had ample opportunity to uh, to check it out. How about you guys? I saw seven, seven times in the theater. And seven I, times? Well, I thought that was just a nice, perfect number for episode seven, seven times. Well, that's oh, why yeah. I did it. So yeah. si- since then, I, I've, I have seen it 500 times. Yeah, well, you've seen Star Wars 500 times. That's the rumor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw it four times in the theater. I've probably seen it. Oh, probably close to a dozen times on home video because the the kids are just way into this right now. So, um, you know, it used to be, Daddy, can we watch you know Cars again or Toy Story again? But now it's Daddy, can we watch Star Wars? Good. There's and hope. That's when you know they're yours. Yes, that's right. <laughs> There's hope. For yeah, the I don't youth. have to eat them. Hope for no. the youth They're of America. Mine. We have hope for the youth of America. We that's do. Right. So, all right, so here's the score. What we're doing is, this is a little bit different. Typically, we are watching a Blu-ray, but we thought we would jump right into the 21st century, and we're going to go with the digital versions. By the way, those of you who have the digital versions, there was a brand new piece of uh, extras that was added. I don't know if you fellows have watched it yet, but it's uh, a, a, a little piece on the costumes, and in particular, uh, Ray's costume design. Have you guys watched this yet? No, just released. This is what's so cool about uh, the digital uh, editions is that they can add bonus content after you've purchased the movie, as in the case of this. So it's still evolving. So I, I haven't watched watched it yet either, but it's something I, I've been meaning to catch. It's just happened in the last day or two. That's so it's not bad. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. So hopefully they'll continue to add. I'd love to see them add a few more deleted scenes. That would be fun because uh, we know mm. that they're out there. So. Um, anyway, all right, uh, shall we do it? So here's what we're doing. Uh, Jim, why don't you do the honors explaining how we've, uh, set this up and, and what people at home should be uh, doing right now. 
Okay, Jason. Well, because there's so many different ways to watch it digitally or watch it streaming, I'm using the uh, DisneyMoviesAnywhere.com website. I'm just streaming it right off the site. And, uh, Jason, I believe you're using iTunes. Sam has Apple TV. But I want to make this just so, I mean, even if people are popping in the DVD or uh, the Blu-ray, everyone should get the same experience. Now, with the fact that there are so many different ways to access the film, depending on what format you're watching, I just rec- recommend everyone get to that, that menu where it says Play. And hit the play button, no matter what kind of menu you're looking at. Just hit play. And once it starts, once you get a glimpse of that Lucasfilm logo, hit pause and just pull the cursor back or hit the rewind button back to where your counter says triple zero. Zero out the counter. And then we'll count down to three and say punch it. And then everyone hits play at the same time. And... At least theoretically, we should all be in sync. So I don't know if everyone uh, has already done that. Uh, Sam, have you moved beyond the uh, the menu and hit play and zeroed out the counter? I have zeroed the counter. Nice, nice. All right. all right. So, so we're counting down from three. From three, and we say punch it. Now, do we do we do we hit play on it or right after it? Yeah, or between punch and it. Yeah, or on punch. Okay, when I say punch it, I'll say it fast. So you won't have any decision-making. It will be right after I say it. Okay? Sam's got fast fingers. Sam is quick. I really do. They call me old fast fingers is what they used to call me. (laughs) He's quick draw McGraw, but Uh we're going to make it happen here. So I I think everyone should be ready. If you're not ready, pause this program briefly and get yourself set. Can can we do a dry one real quick? Just, Just... Count from three and do your punch it and tell us when we should hit the button. All right. So it'll be like All right. three, two, one, punch it. And then you hit punch it. Oh. You hit play. Mm. No. <laughs> it'll be three, two, one, punch it. It'll, there'll be a pop. rhythm. There'll be a rhythm okay. to it. Okay. So punch it, pop. And we hit the button on that. Yeah. Right. Dot, dot, right. dot. I think I got it. Okay. Okay. Dot, we ready? Dot, dot. So we're okay. ready. Here we go. Chewy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Chewy, right. have you set the coordinates in the Nava computer? Thank you, Chew. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. I don't know. I think Chewie stopped in the spaceport bar to have a drink before <laughs> hopping into co-pilot seat, but that's okay. You We're, know, voice acting is hard, guys. It's really hard. It is. I hey, nobody underestimates the talent, fine voice talent like like yourself, Sam. And the chewy. I, I don't like your. Sar- I, I don't appreciate the sarcasm. That, you think I that was sarcastic? I think I was being really um, complimentary to you. I've worked with him a long time, Sam. That was actually sincere, Jimmy. That Mack. was sincere. Uh, I don't that know was about me that. being Maybe. sincere. It, it's just. It's, it's just hard my, to tell. Trust me, I know. My de- delivery is uh, dripping in cynicism, but that's okay. <laughs> I see. I see. I, I mistook the cynicism for sarcasm. Got right, it. Here we go. Three, two, one. Punch it. All right. No. Uh huh. Here, here we, we go. go. All right. Everyone, settle in. Here we go. Lock and load. This uh-huh. is for reals. Uh-huh. Three, two, one. Punch it. All right. All right. It is punched. Se- seeing the Lucasfilm logo fade into view and fade out of view. Phase in, phase out. We talked a lot about how we'd be missing the Fox fanfare. Yeah. Sam, you had speculated they should go back and use an older fanfare from Disney. The old Disney, yeah, I thought that that was a good idea, but I guess they didn't. They didn't think it was a good idea. Yeah, I was and, just happy it wasn't when you wish upon a star. 
Right. That would have been bad. <laughs> it had taken me right out of it. Yeah, that wouldn't have been good. But what a kick was it? I, you know, Jim and I had a little bet. A little Whoa, Luke bet Skywalker has vanished? What the hell? He gone. Oh, what? yeah, yeah, Sam. There's a lot you need to learn about this. Uh, okay, but- i got to admit, I've never seen this movie, guys. <laughs> I, I, this is my first time. And well, Sam, just, it, I just hope my commentary sounds learned because I don't know what's happening. Well, I don't know what's going on. You had to have spent 20 years reading expanded universe novels because it set up this film so perfectly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Except for everything. Right. I really, I really did doubt that we were going to see episode seven in the crawler, the actual numerals. I, I truly doubted it, but, uh, well, you were a fool because I there it is. Fool. There it is. Uh, yes. You know, this is the movie, the Star Wars movie that we that we never thought that we would get. None of us counted on this one. Um, I remember even talking to Katie Lucas when she said there will be no seven, eight, and nine, and that was maybe a year and a half or. Maybe a year and a half before someone let slip to me, they're going to do episode seven. And that was before the Disney merger. So, you know, it's which I was shocked, but also in a weird way, not that surprised because it's like, how do you take something that has so many possibilities and just let it lie? When you had that conversation with Katie, was she uh, what was her attitude about that? Was she frustrated? Did she not care? Did she just Katie has kind of um, a. You know, a, a somewhat casual attitude about uh, Star Wars, which in some ways I feel like mirrors her father in that they are willing to throw out some ideas that may seem like, oh, well, that's not Star Wars. You know, Katie wrote the um, the Night Sisters stuff, right, for the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what what I find interesting about things like that are people who have a, at times a little bit more of a casual attitude is that they can throw out ideas that are a little bit from left field in a good way, you know, and bring something new to the table. So, you know, George was the same way in that his ideas continued through the movies and through the clone wars to be extremely original. There was never any, uh, you know, I, I think the most rehashing he ever did was episode six and and that wasn't really even rehashing at all uh the, there was just like another death star and that was the closest it came to rehashing everything else was very original and thematically it was very original i have to tell you guys i was really surprised that this laura santeca character you know didn't turn out to be uh something more than than what he was but, uh I really did think, you know, all the rumors about him being uh, potentially Boba Fett or, you know, some sort of veteran from the Clone Wars. And that was just something that never really came to be. Well, I'll tell you what, to me, just in this film, physically, he resembles Sir Alec Guinness a lot. And I don't know if that's intentional or what. Really? I think he looks more like Ming, the Merciless. Well, of of course, because of Flash Gordon. Um, But... uh, I, I don't know. You know, there, you know there's something Star about Wars his has, look. Whether it's Peter Cushing or Alec Guinness or or or, or Christopher Lee, I mean, there's always sort of that kind of uh, uh, what's what, what's the word? That kind of uh, wizened, uh, yes, uh, experienced the, the, sage, you know, um, or just somebody that evokes that 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 magnetism, that that gravitas as an actor, you know, somebody yeah. that kind of grounds it. And I mean, this is you know something I want to talk about with the, with his, you know. His line, without the Jedi, there can be no balance to the Force. Um, something I won't talk about now, 
but it's something that I really would like to get to talking about the balance of the force and how this movie relates to that. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that later, but don't, don't let me forget to get into that at some point in the movie. One thing I want to talk about here is the sound design is really, uh, Matt Wood and Dave Acord and them are doing a really good job of creating sounds that evoke what we always knew blasters to sound like and these weapons of war. But these are not, the sounds these these are different sounds they came up with um similar but different types of blaster sounds which i thought was a very good call because it's we are now 30 years in the future from from episode 6 so i i just thought that like this entire opening was you know was just a feast for the ears your ears opened up and feasted upon all this <laughs> amazing sound design but moreover the sound design is taking a back seat to the music so this whole opening thing is like a, it's a musical piece. It's almost like a silent film, and and uh, and the sound design really does um, sit behind the music, which I thought was a really interesting mixed choice for the beginning of this film. Sam, when you talk about the the difference between you, you know in this in this case the sound design and the sounds of the blasters, um, what do you make of the the how this contrasts with the design, the overall look of the film? Uh, as it relates to the time span between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens versus, say, uh, Episode 3 and Episode 4, episode, you know, the, the prequel era and the original trilogy era. Do you think that there seems like there's more time that's elapsed based on the look than uh, it, the other gap? It definitely, I mean, in terms of the Stormtrooper outfits, I thought that was a very good evolution from the Clone Trooper, right? You get Clone mm. Trooper... And that evolved into the Clone Trooper Phase 2 and the different types of clones. And then you get the Stormtroopers and their various types. And that this is, this it really is a very good design uh, that they landed on to be the next iteration of this type of armor. Plus, it seems a so little more very... practical, too. It seems like they, the, the, the leggings grab a little bit better so they can run. It, there's more functionality with the stormtrooper design, I, I think that's just you know out of necessity well, of uh, of of the stunts that they have to do. Here's I mean I, you know I, furthermore I mean I guess they had a budget. I mean what's hilarious is there's all this money being spent to duplicate the vibe of a movie that was made for like eleven bucks. Right. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You know right. it's the the stormtrooper outfits from the original trilogy were very inexpensively made, and uh, what's I mean I I'm. I've heard that the Stormtrooper outfits from Rogue One are upgraded versions of those that stand up better to, you know, to the definition that we see these movies in. I mean, because just the film stock and the way that things were shot back in the day and just where technology was then, if you see a movie from back then blown up, it's still in high def. You're still getting incredible amounts of detail, but you're also getting this wonderful sort of painted gauze over everything that old movies had mm. and these movies you know it's funny because star wars movies do very well with that painted gauze um representing you know the the image they are not as you know like they have to fight making everything look artistic and and uh and you know as if it was created by an artist you know these these frames and so modern movies are so much more literal in terms of what you're seeing. I mean, you know, especially with Peter Jackson going, oh, well, let's go with 48 frames per second. And you're just literally seeing what's on the set. <laughs> yeah. And in some cases, when you have that much detail, you're seeing the dwarves makeup. <laughs> you're seeing, you're like, right. oh, it's a soundstage. Great. Um, and 
so so they these stormtrooper outfits necessarily had to be higher detail, higher impact. We were able to withstand more, and, and the actors needed to be able to you know there there couldn't be any defects because we would see it right away. And also, there was an awareness that the, that the original movie never had. The original movie was shot in you know as fast as they could shoot it with not a lot of money. And not the expectation that people would have these incredible home systems and they would just digest every single frame. Now, this is a movie that they thought, okay, well, people are going to watch this a lot if we make mm-hmm. a mistake. Right. People, everyone, if a stormtrooper bumps his head on a door, you know, everyone's going to know about it. And yeah, so, this, this, this had to stand up to a lot of scrutiny. Yeah, a lot of right. scrutiny. Sam, whenever and, I see Kylo, I always think of your comment about mask acting. And uh, how much that goes into that, really. I mean, you really opened my eyes to to what Adam Driver's doing there. And I hope I opened your eyes to the fact that BB-8 does indeed purr. I have confirmed this, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad he does. I'm glad he does. Um, that That is a design that is wholly original and interesting and absolutely the next generation of astromech. And as I understand it, BB-8 represents the next generation of technology at the Republic fleet elsewhere in the galaxy, that there are ships that go along with BB-8 and that BB-8 is, you know, there, there are perhaps many other droids that are just, you know, that are like him. And when you come to the resistance, or well, let's, let's start with the, the first order. The first order is supposed to be flying old Imperial class star destroyers and old TIE fighters and all this stuff as, as, as per the treaty that they have with the, Republic and the peace treaty and galactic peace and all that. So when he looks at the Star Destroyer just just then and he looks around and he sees a new class of Star Destroyer, that's a shock to Poe. They're not supposed to be building new Star Destroyers. Right. Um, you know, they're still flying TIE fighters and stuff like that, so no one thinks anything of, of that. No one thinks that's weird. But they should not have new Star Destroyers as per the peace treaty with the Republic. And BB-8, you know, he's part of this new tech... Um, but we never see the new tech. Um, we see old technology. The new X-Wings in this movie are old X-Wings in this galaxy. And so Leia's crew, likewise, has old ships. So there's a very retro thing going on here. Yeah, well, they reference BB-8 as, you know, a BB unit, like, the, like that's yes. common. But yet, you're right, we never see another BB unit mm-hmm. in this film. So yeah. he's unique. I thought but he was entirely unique. I thought he was entirely unique because... Poe says something along one the lines kind. to Finn, yeah, that he's one of a kind. It's but, the colors. Yeah, I mean, you, you say the same thing about R2-D2. He's a one-of-a-kind droid. Right, oh, there right. Are millions of R2 units. and We even saw in Phantom Menace droids that looked exactly like him, get, his brothers get blown up. Here we have Rey, our, our heroine, and, uh, and little does she know it, and I'll, I will um, get into this a little later, she is a virgence in the Force. Or a virgins, she is the center point of a virgins located around a person. A virgins, and you say? A virgins, you say? Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, and she's on the uh, desert world of Jakku. You know, when I describe what I'm seeing, I feel like Schwarzenegger when he does his commentary. Have you ever seen him? <laughs> when he watches one of his own movies, how's that go, Sam? 
Well, it turned and she's just sliding down the mountain. <laughs> That's great. Right, and she's dragging it now, and then she's she, oh, then then she's then she's just carrying junk and she's putting it in your. Uh, her motorcycle, <laughs> and uh, that's her. That's that stuff is like uh, her stick that she uses to poke things. And uh, oh look, she's driving! Look how fast she's driving! <laughs> I mean, that's that's <laughs> not, not a lot of insight, really, uh, into the process. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh look, there's just, there's a big wedge spaceship, the starship. There's one in there. There's a vulture that's trying to pack, but. He's, there's nothing in there. He thinks it's an egg or something, <laughs> but there's nothing there. It's a, it's a, like an old helmet or something. He's an idiot. <laughs> so, yeah, he's completely useless. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, right there, you know, Arnold, he just talks about what he sees but by you know with you doing that sam slash arnold it it did prove to me that we're all very synced up nicely here with this digital stream it's working out perfectly and then and I, i love this little moment where we're seeing that this this young girl who's 19 or 20 is in fact not fulfilling her potential and she's afraid that she will end up like that woman across the table and how here we have Simon Pegg for portions. <laughs> Simon Pegg. <laughs> I thought he did a great job. And that must have been very uncomfortable to be in that big suit for him. Well, especially in Abu Dhabi. Because this is shot, this is actually shot on the set in Pinewood. But um, there are some sequences where he actually did have to shoot out in Abu Dhabi. I, oh, I yes. assume that spot he run, where he runs out later and says, That's mine! All right, guys, I, I, I have to ask, you know, because J.J. has been uh, quite public. Uh, Jim, much to your uh, dismay about his uh, willingness to admit fault or, you know, say, hey, maybe that was a miscalculation or I kind of screwed that up. Uh, you feel he should uh, not do that. Uh, but he has mentioned that what they were trying to do here is as much as possible, which is introduce us to something new by showing us something familiar. Do you think that the desert planet of Jakku is is part of that game plan? I mean, is that really why, or is there some method to this madness of why they just didn't make it Tatooine? Well, you know, I I think they just wanted to say that Rey has a similar background to Luke Skywalker without putting her in the exact same background as Luke Skywalker. It's just enough to make you think of a young Luke being surrounded by sand. But um, I've grown to, to understand Jakku, you know, to be a different place with the Starship yeah. Graveyard and, and everything. Uh, and it, it seems free of and rock. moist evaporators. Uh, yeah, moist evaporators, of course. Being a jerk. <laughs> but you know, it's it's well, it doesn't have like your rocky canyons like Tatooine does. It seems to be just strictly dune, at least from what we see. And um, you know, there are just some who cannot really come to to terms with that, <coughs> Kyle Newman. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I'm fine <laughs> with it. I'm you know I'm, I'm okay with it not being Tatooine. Maybe that's too on the nose, as some people have said. I think JJ is just trying to place Ray in a very similar situation as Luke without actually put her, putting her in the exact same situation as Luke. Well, I, you know, obviously, uh, even in our own world, there's, there's multiple different types of deserts and, and all of that. So it would be crazy to think, oh, well, Tatooine's the only, you 
the only desert uh, planet. That's certainly not the case. Uh, but it does. I, I don't know. I, I just I'm I'm still holding out that maybe there's going to be something that's that will be revealed that will kind of you know create some sort of connection. But I do agree with you, Jim, that it's the, the characters do give Jakku its own distinct personality. It seems I, that I way. don't sit there and watch this and and think that it's Tatooine, right? I, I it definitely has its own uh, its own vibe. But I'm just thinking, you know, as far as the creative process, uh, why they wouldn't have just uh, gone, gone there? Yeah, yeah, anything different. I, yeah. By the way, this the recovery of BB-8 reminds me of meeting my dog Leonard, who is also a gold and white little dude like that. <laughs> And I, I met him in my backyard. Uh, <laughs> he just kind of showed up and uh, wrapped and in a net whenever. by Tito. Yeah, that's right. And and you know, and also he was the kind of dog who he was definitely abused, so he would not have done well in the adoption circuit. You know, he was fully grown and, uh-huh. and had a lot of anxiety. It took me three days to to sort of get him to trust me. Um, but uh, but yeah, so when I see that scene, it reminds me of, by of the way, my I, dog Leonard. I love. Uh, formal human names for pets. It's just the best. Leonard. Uh, yeah, Steve, Brian. <laughs> yeah, totally. What a great name. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get the <laughs> kick out of that as well. So you know, this this power that, that um, mm. Kylo was using against Poe is, is um, you know, it's funny. It's something new, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's not because we've actually seen Vader do this with a lot more elegance in that he plucked out of Luke's mind, sister, so you have a twin sister. He, he figured out that Leia was a thing. And he uh, he didn't have to reach out or smack Luke in the forehead or anything like that to um, to get that information. Oh, so, you're, so Sam, you're saying it's, it is the same power. Oh, yes. But, but it's showing more effort and strain in this case. Yeah, with Vader Mando. just kind of... And here, you know, Donald Gleason... Um, I didn't understand his casting at first until that midway, that scene that comes up in maybe an hour into the movie. And then I was like, oh, this is wonderful. So Donald Gleeson at this point when I was watching, I'm like, oh, okay, who is this guy? Come on, what's up? But I was giving him a chance, and then he took that chance and went full Nazi on me, and good for him because he was great. <laughs> I think he could have he given us a little more in that scene, actually. <laughs> he could have yeah, like, Come back. on, commit, really... Domino, commit. He was not committing. <laughs> come on. Um, so here we go, um, displaying the Star Wars values that this film, um, uh, yeah. that this film shares with its pre- predecessors in that she is given the chance to have security for possibly the first time in her life and insecurity by way of having food every day and being able to actually eat her fill for once and not having to worry about that for a while. It's like ha- someone offering to pay your rent for five years. You'd be like, <gasps> but she, and all she has to do is give up this droid for salvage and, uh, and she doesn't. And that's a nice little star Wars moment. Um, so we're already, we're like, okay, you're, 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 you're on our side. You're definitely yeah. on the side. And then, uh, then here we have this uh, these stormtroopers, <laughs> and then he's like, "All right, but where are you go? Where are you taking me?" But he's like, "Come over here and and uh, and then wait, and then go oh, wait, wait, go into this uh, alley here, and then and then I'm going to talk to you." And he's like, "What are you saying?" And he's like, "I'm saying we have to get out of here to get to the chopper." Um, <laughs> here's something wonderful, also, and like we just saw Star Wars values being represented by Ray. And then we think we're being shown Star Wars values represented by 
uh, FN2187 because it's the right thing. And John Williams plays the Star Wars theme behind it. And then we find out, no, 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 it's not that. It's cowardice. He needs a pilot. He needs to get the hell out. You know, that this, this Finn character um, is not a hero to begin with. And I think that that's a very good call and a very good choice for this. The Finn character is a piece of, he is a piece of uh, movie lore that had not quite been um, exploited yet by the Star Wars movies. He is the cowardly lion from The Wizard of Oz. Mm. And he does. He cannot find courage unless he is um, fighting for a cause that feels right. Otherwise, he is actually a coward. <laughs> he wants to run. He's yeah. he's freaking out. But if but if there's a cause that feels right to him, um, the courage comes as a matter of course. Right, because uh, at this point, uh, Sam, you're absolutely right. We have no idea that his aversion to uh, carrying out his orders come from any sort of morality. Moral. Yeah. Yeah. He just knows he just knows that he's scared. Now what he doesn't understand as a stormtrooper is that that fear comes from the fact that this is a morally messed up situation. Now that wouldn't have been part of his training. You know, he he yeah. doesn't really understand morality in the same way, but he but he just knows that he just feels not you know, not as committed and he feels afraid. And uh you know, but we see later on that that changes as his circumstances change. Um, and this is this is really uh, this is a good time. I love the way they modeled the the Tie Fighter cockpit. Um, very very true to A New Hope. Mm. You know, just really really nice. There there were so many little details in this scene. I, I actually ran it by Matt Wood, and I said, you know, it's wonderful to it's wonderful to watch these Star Wars movies, and just you observe that it's the people that are working on these things. They're fans. They, you know, a lot of them played X-Wing and TIE Fighter. A lot of them, you know, um, read the comic books and they, they're aware of these things. For example, you know, this, this notion of use the ventral cannons, which is coming up. Well, those are concussion missiles. If you're a Star Wars fan, you're like, oh, those are concussion missiles. That's exactly what they look like. And Matt Wood made them sound like concussion missiles. Yeah. Matt Wood and Dave Acord. And so you... You go, wow, we're, we're really being taken care of here. We know what these weapons are, even if the casual audience doesn't know what, the, what type of weapons they're using. Um, and, of course, we just missed that FN2187 finally got his name, Finn, which I think is a wonderful little moment. Um, I've been talking for a long time. Would you guys like to take over? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, uh, this is, uh, this is just, just as interesting to us yeah. as it is to those listening. Um, Sam, me and uh, Jason have already run through this film uh, pretty well up to this point, so we're really curious to, to hear what you're bringing to the table. Did you guys do a different commentary? or Were you cheating on me? What's we, up? We did cheat on you. We did. Oh, that Star Wars only... explosion. I love that. That was an Empire Strikes Back style explosion right there. Anyway, go Oh, I'm sorry. Very nice. Yeah, very but nice. it doesn't count though, Sam, because we only we, we cheated on you with each other. Oh, so, so uh, that's a, that's part yeah. of the arrangement. Well, yeah, right. If you yeah, if you know the person, if you knew the person that you're cheating with longer than you know the person you're cheating on, it's okay. Oh, that's always oh, those are good right, rules. Right, Hold right. On. I'm yeah. writing that down. Let me see. No, uh, longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look that up. That's real. Uh, <laughs> that's the real deal. So here now we hear. All right, Luke's, this line I got. I got to bring this up though. The part when about Luke said, when 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 Poe says it's the map to Luke Skywalker, and he goes, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" Can we assume from that that uh, Finn has some 
idea of who Luke Skywalker is? I believe I everyone has an idea of who Luke Skywalker is, but they don't. They're not sure if that really happened or not. Right. Mm. Exactly. Kind of like Jesus. I mean, when you think about it, it's uh, a lot of stories are told, and either you believe in them or you don't. Apparently, Luke really, you know, he didn't embrace the public spotlight at all following the events of Return of the Jedi. Well, uh, you know, he wouldn't have. It's not Luke's style. But, you know, the thing is, is that, I mean, for example, I just read something recently where a uh, a British uh, submariner, a uh, guy who worked in a submarine, um, the sub was on its way to sinking. It had been damaged. And he jumped into a room and did all these heroic things, you know, like, like took a, you know, there was some freaking out, uh, junior uh, crewman. He gave him a swallow swig of rum and tried to, and then, you know, flooded the compartment to equalize the pressure with the outside, put on these masks. They were way under the death level they needed to be, and then they had to rise up. They popped the top hatch, run, you know, went up. They were under like 200 feet, which is you're going to get the major bends on the way up. They didn't survive, but he did. And then he swam to shore six miles, eventually was rescued. This is during World War II. And he he got a medal for being behind enemy lines. I think he was recovered in Norway. But he told this whole story. And people didn't believe him. They thought, well, you did something like this. Clearly you are. We know you were on that sub. You were one of ours. And you escaped and you got to shore. But like swimming from 200 feet depth and doing all these things and swimming six miles and this whole thing and giving the guys rum and blah, blah, blah. No one, no one really bought it, right? And then many, many years later, they found the sub all rusted over that hatch that he talked about was popped. There was a bottle of rum in the hatch. There were all these little pieces of evidence that it was exactly like he said it was as far fetched as it was. So that's Luke Skywalker. There are people that are like, we know there was a Luke Skywalker, but did he really blow up the death star? And did he, was he able to just, you know, to fight his way out of Jabba's palace the way that he did Jabba's sail barge? Did he, defeat the emperor and darth vader single-handedly and turn darth vader. did any of this stuff really happen because it sounds really far-fetched this guy you can leap tall buildings and use the force what is that you know but but it turns out it's true oh my god <laughs> and here, by the way i love this whole notion perhaps they should consider a clone army that that's like an insult yes to, to yes right that he said, oh, how dare you know that that's that's obsolete technology but what we find out is i mean what it's it's not quite obsolete as it is. The Emperor just thought that clones were too expensive, which is why the clone soldiers of the Clone Wars are better quality troops than the recruits that are not as well trained at, in, during the era of the Empire. At that time, the Emperor has won the galaxy. He just needs billions of troops. He wants as many as you can get. And uh, building clones from scratch was, was uh, you know... That was the Cadillac way of doing things, and then he just he just wanted to go. He just needs some, you know. He just needed some uh, Volkswagen troops. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what they. I don't know. It's, it's the budget. It's the budget version. The budget right, version. Guys. Nothing wrong with Volkswagen. Yeah. yeah Fine well, vehicle. Germans <laughs> crap very very well. Hog squaddle, guys. Hog squaddle. Yeah, hog squaddle. Yeah, I know. mean, it it definitely was a, a a design that just screamed Star Wars from the very first time we saw him. It was love at first sight. Yes. Speaking yeah. of love at first sight, here we get to see Hog Squaddle's ass. There it is. <laughs> oh, clean view. <laughs> oh, I never noticed that before. Yeah. yeah. I'm never going to not see that now. <laughs> yes. Uh, great character moments. Some, uh, you know, the, uh, John Boyega plays this 
so wonderfully. I mean, this is a guy that uh, you know does not need a bit of dialogue in order to show us exactly what he's thinking. Well, he's, uh, he's got an old school type thing going, and all these characters are talking like I was like I've said in other commentaries, faster, more intense. The George Lucas direction from the original Star Wars is alive and well in this in this um, movie. I love yeah, the realization. He's being, by, he's being chased by Dorothy and Toto at this yeah, point. The realization, <laughs> the realization that that good-looking girl is running at who? Who's who? She? Oh, me? She's running at me. <laughs> yeah, with teeth bared, and I mean, uh, he he almost does an exit stage left right there. <laughs> <laughs> and here, here uh, with Finn's bad day continues. He. It's all started when his tie got shot down. He had to eject from the tie. He had to walk through the desert, almost starving and, and, and dying of thirst. He gets hit by hog swaddle in the head, knocked on his ass. He gets hit in the head by Ray's staff. He gets shocked by BB-8. And uh, soon he's going to be get shot by a tie fighter and then devoured by a raftar. So this has got to be the worst day for any single Star Wars character. It's a pretty bad day for this guy, but but in the midst of this, he is he is discovering courage, and his soul is being saved. <laughs> like this guy is like being saved from a pretty bad life, you know. Yeah, well, Sam, you you've got me thinking of this in an entirely different light because John Boyega is such an instantly likable person, okay, and yes. he makes Finn so instantly likable that you don't think about the fact that. He's a bit of a coward, and he's a, he's a liar here. He's an opportunist he's a and a liar, and that's yeah. why I like him <laughs> because <laughs> well, we get, you know, the character has a place to go. He can grow, and I'm I'm very interested to see where Finn goes in the next film, and you know, because of where he starts, and because of John Boyega's, um, you know, the qualities he's bringing to it, and uh, Ray, of course, also has this wonderful innocence. But she's, you know, it's interesting. She's a she's a Luke Skywalker character who's a way more rough around the edges in terms of her ability to take care of herself. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's been in a, a violent world, whereas Luke lived on the farm, which that's another thing is they're, they're really going to have to build up something for Ray to come against. We have to figure out what her flaw is, right? Because yeah. Luke, yeah. we really got to grow with that character. You know, Lucas uh, gave us a character who was not, hadn't at all arrived until the third movie. And that was a very satisfying um, road for that character. And uh, Ray, you know, you wonder if, you know, she's a bit further along on her journey and as we find her here and, and you wonder if that is going to be part of her, if that's going to be used against her. You know, perhaps she'll become overconfident um, with what she can and can't do. The, uh, yes, it'll be interesting to see what's next uh, for her because you're, you're right, she does seem um, more complete uh, as a character than perhaps Luke did. However, she does uh, seem bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. She seems she enthusiastic does. and eager, and that's what we saw in the character of Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. By the time we get to know Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi, we're meeting a character who's educated, experienced, introspective, and someone who's definitely grown a lot as a sum result of his experiences um, altogether. So I... I would expect they're gonna they're gonna take a similar path with Ray. I really right. do. I think we're gonna see all new dimensions to her character that we could not even dream of right now as we're watching The Force yeah. Awakens. That's right. That's that's absolutely correct. And she as an actress, she's certainly proving that she can handle it. The which Falcon. is extraordinary for a young actress that hasn't really worked. And there's the Millennium Falcon. Yes. 
Now, first time I've ever been in a movie theater and someone applauded or people were applauding for, a, you know, a vehicle, essentially. Yeah. You know, I've seen people applaud uh, with the entrance of a character, but, well, the Falcon is a character. Well, you know, yeah. Jason, you weren't there for those early screenings of Smokey and the Bandit 2. When, <laughs> as soon as that Trans Am hit the screen, everyone went nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get a much better sense of context uh, of how the Falcon is laid out and where things are w- relative to each other in this movie than I, I think I do in, in Empire or, or uh, A New Hope. I think you get that context because you're combining it with what you know of Empire and A New Hope. Right. Uh, right because if right. you just saw this, you'd have no idea that he's down uh, stair, you know, the Yeah, ladder. right. That's he, true. Yeah. And you wouldn't have an idea that that hallway went to the This would, You know, we haven't seen the main hold yet. You know, so this is what we're doing is, in a lot of cases, adding to our knowledge of these things. And mm-hmm. now we go back to watch A New Hope and we know a little bit more about that environment because we just spend a little bit more time in it. Um, but this is, this is a really thrilling uh, uh, chase sequence, which, again, reminds me of, if anything, it's, it seems to me like it's the pod race. If the pod race and the asteroid chase had a baby, it's this scene. <laughs> You know, it really is. It's, it's you know, and, and I don't mean just because it's in a desert and there's obstacles everywhere and they're going fast. I mean, because it's someone who shouldn't be able to pull off something miraculous uh, and she's pulling it off. You know, the way that Anakin pulled off that incredible race as an eight-year-old child. You know, that's that's a pretty, you know, that that's the precedent that we are using to, uh, that informs upon this, you know, this piloting feat that, that Ray pulls off. Yeah. Something you know. that I really appreciate that they do in this movie is is they they put these familiar vehicles and they make them somehow feel more real than they've ever felt before. You know, when you see the the tie fighter, you know, actually tethered in the docking bay of the Star Destroyer, uh you see the Falcon in atmosphere, the tie fighters in atmosphere. They they the way that they uh present these things uh so you're not just seeing them out in outer space. Um, it really does bring a, a reality, a level of reality we've not seen before. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it is just wonderful to see that ship flying around, and and it's fun. You know, I think at this point, as I was watching this movie, I realized that I liked these two people and that they were flying the Millennium Falcon, and it was just a weird moment where you're like, "Whoa, these are mm-hmm. we have two new Star Wars characters. Two new Star Star Wars characters have now arrived, and this is." This is really a good thing. Well, uh, it's the ultimate test, right? Putting them behind the controls of the Falcon, uh, if, they, if they can pass that for us right. as fans. Um, I mean, how lucky, you know, it's, it's amazing because with the, with the wrong casting, with, the, with just, uh, you know, with Kazan writing just the, the wrong dialogue, they wouldn't have worked. That's true. By the way, they are now passing through the engine compartment of a Super Star Destroyer, which has landed upside down. Um, <laughs> this is, but here's the thing. This is the kind of geek detail that I think is awesome that they have people that are making use of this. I mean, obviously in the script, they go, he flies into the giant engine of a Star Destroyer. Well, a, most Star Destroyers are not big enough for that, but there is one version that we've seen in the other movies that that's big enough, and it's the Super Star Destroyer. Mm. And what's funny is in Battlefront, if you watch in the background on, on the Battle of Jakku in Battlefront, you can see a Super Star Destroyer falling as it tilts upside down to land in the desert upside down. So you're like, wow. Even the people <laughs> making the video games are paying attention. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, 
and so again, we get the beauty shot of the Falcon as they've just completed their first real adventure. Um, they've leveled up to level two. They're rolling up hit points right now. This is great. They're getting, you know, Finn just leveled up his gunnery skill. Ray leveled up her piloting. And this is great. <laughs> BBA is the GM. They got the oh, new yeah. badges. <laughs> you know, it was just recently revealed by JJ that. Um, that uh, he had to reshoot these sequences here, and uh, he sort of retooled them when Harrison Ford was injured, and he was grateful yeah. to have that extra time because he felt like at first these scenes with Finn and Ray and the Falcon came off as wooden, and the, the chemistry wasn't there. So they, they sort of redid the whole sequence. It sounds like they were a lot more adversarial yeah. at first. Uh, and, Jim, I think you brought up a great point uh, before, saying that you kind of imagined it more like Han and Leia, the, ba- the, the, the bickering. Um, and even those scenes, there's a scene in, in, uh, the empire strikes back that they reshot that just, it doesn't work between Han and Leia. You know, it's, it's so adversarial to be like tasteless and, and kind of mean and cruel rather than these two people are falling in love. And, uh, there's a balance to be struck between people who annoy each other, but are starting to really like each other and people who annoy each other and just want to get away from each other and, it's, it's, you know, a little bit of a line to walk. You want to have that dramatic tension while not having them dislike. What was I'm very, I am always very thrown by this scene because not only is, is Kylo Ren sort of uh, – his reaction sort of infers that he's not terribly surprised to hear news about this girl. But in the Imperial officer's delivery – now, maybe I'm reading into it, but I just feel as though – um, the way it's the way it's delivered makes you wonder just what he knows about this girl. Well, here that's a that's the thing. It, it's certainly that moment really points to the idea that Kylo knows something about a girl on Jakku, and mm-hmm. and in, later on in the Force flashback, it certainly seems as if Kylo Ren was responsible for taking a young Ray and planting her on Jakku. I mean, if you look at the sequence of events, you're like, this is, this is a compelling argument for the idea that Ray has previously been trained, but at at an age so young that she might not remember it. And then of course there's the, you know, legends universe precedent for people, people's minds getting wiped. Kylo has mind powers. So, well, that, that's a theory out there. That is, that's, that, that's a, not to get into spoiler or uh, theory territory, but there's a theory out there that perhaps because I've I've often said that you know the age thing doesn't work for me as far as how believable it is that 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 Ray, that Ren would have deposited Ray. She's eight years old or so, and now we're looking at her. She's probably eighteen. 19. Yeah, ni- is she nineteen? Is that eighteen sort of or the, nineteen? Eighteen yeah. or nineteen. So ten years, and you know, what are we looking at as far as? Ren, I guess he probably could be in his early 30s uh, at the most. So, but I don't get the sense that he's, you know, been um, lost in the wilderness for that long. Do you guys? Well, Han Han makes reference to uh, when when he gives the two characters the lowdown on what's going on with the Jedi and everything and Luke. He says that an, um, an apprentice, a boy, was the one who who ruined everything for the Jedi. Mm. Yeah, my read was that it was maybe 10 years ago that he turned. I think it's I think if I can I think it's 15. I think what really? we're seeing is the the flashback to young Ray on Jakku in Unker Plutt's grasp. I think that she's 5 years old. 
And, Five. Wow. Yes. Okay. And the word is, is that the massacre, the Jedi massacre happened 15 years prior to the events of this film. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Now, the new book, Bloodline, that is out that that could prove me wrong because I placed the events in that book at around 15 years prior to uh, The Force Awakens, and I'm reading it now. I'm about 150 pages in, and it Leia does reference Ben and Han and, and everything, so you have to think that Ben has yet to turn and become Kylo Ren. 15 years prior. So it's about it within that window, I think. There's Han and Chewie. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, I'm so glad you know. that, that you know, it was not lost on uh, the, the, the creative team of this film of how momentous that had to be, that yes. entrance. And they, I, I think they just executed it perfectly. And-, well, and let's talk about Harrison Ford and what he's bringing to the table because we've seen him in a, you know, as as an actor as he's grown older he's gotten a lot of gravitas you know mm, he, mm-hmm. and a gravelly voice that comes along with this and a real weight you know he's very weighty in, in things that he has done um recently and so to see him run onto the falcon rather than <laughs> walk coolly onto the falcon and to see these moments where he allows han solo to look a little foolish and to get flustered and it, it was what uh, the wonderful thing about it is that it in, instead of it, it was Han Solo. He was he was all the colors that we'd had before, plus all, a whole bunch of new ones. And yeah. that was what was so great about it is that you you understood this was the same guy. You know, I we were all looking forward to seeing Harrison Ford return to this role, but I I don't know that I knew that he would be so funny in it, and <laughs> and that you know this is the funniest performance he's done in years, and this is. This is why he is the star he is because he 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 did this type of thing better than anyone and uh, and to see him go back and and sort of reprise that kind of performance style, which again I wasn't expecting was so, such a delight. And I, uh, I, I yeah. love the uh, double meaning of the line when he says when she says you're Han Solo and he says I used to be I used to be yeah, yeah. and then you know it, it's interesting how they both identify with Han. She looks at him as a hero from the war, or no, as a smuggler. Yeah, while smuggler. Finn looks at him as a, as a hero from the war, and that's just the perspective. You know how they heard about him. She obviously heard about him. Well, I, she seems surprised that it's the Millennium Falcon. So she had no idea it was the Falcon, but right. she does have an awareness of who Han Solo sure, is. Sure, from the from the underworld. The from the underworld, yeah, people right. talk about Han, and then of course Finn, with his military background, knows of Han Solo, the general, the the guy who fought in the war. So right. uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to see the different perspectives and how one character can represent two different things to uh, the uh, other characters. Yeah. No, it's it's just it's it's uh it's interesting to to see. I mean, I I had expected I didn't think I knew that Han had gone back to a life of smuggling and such. I was happy to learn that when it came to his willingness to help these people, that it came pretty quickly. It would have felt like a repeat yes. of of the original stuff if if that if he's like, well, I'm not going to do it because unless you're paying me, it's like you know, no, he's still the hero of the rebellion. He's just fallen on hard times because of the loss of his son, right? You know, right. but he is at heart the hero of the rebellion. Once they get on the Star Killer base, he's leading that mission and he's doing it with enthusiasm. You know, he's he's 
in fact, you know, they get the girl back and he's like, well, we ha- we got the shield down, but now we have to even do more. We can do more, so we must do more, you know, and, and he leads the the sabotage of the uh, of the um, oscillator, the thermal oscillator or whatever right, the hell right, that right. is. Yeah. Once a rebel, always a rebel. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Does the does the uh, Scottish accent throw you guys at all? Does that, does that seem to come out of that space? Brogue? There's space Britain. There's space Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I. Yeah. Not I as don't much. Know why the, the the British is so uh, seems so natural, uh, but the 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 brogue just kind of. Well, yeah. Think about the Clone Wars. In the Clone Wars, Lucas used um, different real world regionalisms to represent different yes so the the uh the twi'leks on um on ryloth uh, were french yeah and the jawas spoke swahili if i'm not mistaken at least and a, or a variation of what nine numb spoke but that actor is back in this movie uh, doing the same you know the dialect he's speaking is appropriate uh it's just in another language and he did that in return of the jedi as well so you know this didn't throw me because i'm like no nah, we've always been using real world dialects to represent people from different planets i love that uh that guy back there who looks like ultraman uh he's part of kanji club those little freaks <laughs> he doesn't he look like ultraman a little bit with uh, sunglasses on they showed him a, 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 a tell bit. that to kanji club man tell I don't that know. to kanji club <laughs> that's so funny how that line has become just uh part of the whole star wars vernacular now tell right. that to kanji club yeah instantly you know this movie has only been in our in our pop culture consciousness for four months doesn't it seem like it's been around for about four years at this point My- yes yes it yes it, it has definitely made a place for itself yeah. for sure yeah. by the way watch finn's grinning like an idiot in the background he says watch, look at this just look at it. he's like it's great right it's great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know i i appreciate things like that little details um and then i do love that you have this monster that's eating everyone and harrison ford stays put but it yeah. isn't until the indiana jones reflex it starts rolling toward him yeah. that he starts <laughs> taking off you know he he understands when there's a big rolling object toward him what he needs to do <laughs> run there's there's ultraman He's going to become a meal for the Rathar. There he goes. Only his boot remains. Only, only Harrison Ford can look cool and, and, and sexy and all of that being kind of befuddled yeah. and clumsy. When right? panicking. I mean, yeah. yeah, right. He makes right. panicking well, sexy. Yeah, look, it's, right. It's, it's, the, it's something that, that I feel like I learned watching Harrison Ford. It was one of the things that, for example, I'm being human my character gets beat up quite a bit uh, emotionally and physically. You were always getting beat up on that. That's right. And, and that was, as far as I was concerned, I, I have Harrison Ford to thank for that because I, I, watching Indiana Jones and watching these movies, you learn that by showing vulnerability and by showing fallibility, that's how the audience cheers for you. If if you're just cool and you ever never you do everything right, then the audience isn't really going to get that invested because you're probably going to handle it. But if you know if you take a licking and keep on ticking, they they <laughs> like you all the more. And that's you know. So Harrison Ford is not afraid to show his character looking foolish, and that's part of the reason, a large part of the reason why we love 
Han Solo so and true. Indiana Jones and various characters. Well, speaking of Indiana Jones, you'll notice, um, I mean, I, I know you guys aren't listening with the sound right now, but uh, go back and watch this sequence and listen to the sound design. You'll hear when those Rathtar's tentacles are they snapping around. The they use the bullwhip <laughs> sound from Indiana Jones. Oh, Matt, no Yeah, Matt Wood and really? uh, David Acord. Now, I haven't confirmed that with the guys yet, but that's definitely a question I'm going to ask. Both I wonder if they use the bull. Yeah, yeah, the bull. Yeah, is it is it the same one? Because it, it sure sounds oh, like it. They have it in the library. You know, they can use it. <laughs> yes. Um, the bowcaster gets a lot of love in this film. Sure does. They <laughs> they start they keep building up what a powerful and dreadful weapon it is, and and they do it for a specific reason for later on in the movie. But um, but this uh, <clears throat> you know by the way Ray saving Finn the way that she did with the timing of the doors and stuff. I I looked at that very much like one of those force moments where you're just like. She, you know, she can, she can see things before they happen. She has a particular set of skills. Yes. <laughs> she will hit the button now. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of those things. And uh, this whole escape of the Falcon, you know, putting a little interesting, fun monster twist on the jump to hyperspace is a lot of fun. And by the way, this is the first classic jump to hyperspace we've had in the movie since the original trilogy. That's right. Yeah, that, that was one thing that I really missed from the prequels was yeah. the, the view of a ship jumping into hyperspace um, from the internal view of the cockpit. That is essential Star Wars in my book, and here it is. Classic. And they're doing yeah, it the from way. the hangar. And those guys just get pushed back. They don't, get, right. they don't get incinerated like do you'd we, think. Do we have any idea why George changed that, uh, the iconography of that uh, hyperspace jump? I think, I think it's because when you've created these things, nothing is sacred. I yeah. think it's that. I, you know, I've even heard tell of George talking about lightsabers as, you know, they're just, they're, they're tools. You know, don't, mm. don't be too precious about them. Um, while at the same time, the characters themselves seem very precious about him. You know, this weapon is your life and all this right. stuff. Right. Now, here's a question about Snoke. Mm. You got this twisted old man who is clearly strong in the dark side of the force. Um, what does that mean? Because, uh, you know, you look at this and you go, well, if you have an old guy his age, Palpatine would never have let him live or gain any kind of gain any sense of dark side power unless he was working for him. Can we assume yeah. he is old? I mean, maybe he's just injured or incinerated or he's an alien species that just sort of looks that way. Now, it's possible, but I don't think he's 20. I think, yeah. you know, right. I mean, even if you put him at 50 years old, Palpatine would have extinguished him. He had an incredibly, um, incredibly, uh, uh, efficient series of spies and inquisitors and people that were taking care of force using people and either turning them or killing them. And that was basically what I was. So I really hope that they have an explanation for the existence of Snoke and who the Knights of Ren are. And I hope it's not simply, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're like the Sith. They're except they're not the Sith, but they're like just as bad as the Sith. You know, they're really cool. <laughs> it's like, no, no, they can't be. The Sith took care of the competition including the biggest competition, the Jedi. And they restored, you know, from a Sith point of view, they restored balance to the Force by wiping out the Jedi. Exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep hitting on that balance of the Force issue, um, but I'm not going to talk about it just yet. Now, now something that, you, you, that we're seeing, I, I, or at least I feel like I'm seeing in the tie-in material and 
going to the visual dictionary and all of that is that this idea that uh, Snoke does not appear to be a uh, a dark side zealot. Uh, he seems to be a lot more uh, uh, what's the word pra- practical or pragmatic. Uh, whatever gets the job done, light side, dark side, it doesn't matter. The means to the end. Um, Snoke is well. I, he's certainly he's talking a lot about force stuff. I, I I I here's the thing: when it comes to the dark side characters, um, they're looking at it as if they're using the force in its totality, and they are not limiting themselves artificially the way that the Jedi do. Which is another reason why they are so damned powerful and dangerous because they are they are about testing their limits, pushing their limits. They are not about. Um, you know, they're not about uh, serving the force or or putting moral uh, obstacles that yes. could, by the way, also save them, save others as it could save themselves. They're not about that. They're about, you know, Palpatine said himself, you know, that you must uh, embrace a larger view of the force. So mm-hmm. they look at it as if we're just using the force. Yes, the dark side is part of that, but... You know, we have no problem using any light side powers, dark side powers, this for that, that for this. It's all, it's all a means to an end. And with the dark side, the means to the end is gathering things for yourself. Uh, power, money, influence, um, people. Having, having people, in a sense, belong to you rather than having a, a, a reasonable coexistence with them. You know, Anakin's... Mm-hmm. Uh, possessive love of Padme and, uh, you know, the emperor's ownership of Darth Vader. Um, you know, this is, this is all part of the dark side. And, and what Kylo Ren is, is he is the Luke Skywalker of the dark side. He's a guy who has a long way to go, who has not arrived yet. He shows up in the first movie, a not fully formed villain, and he's fighting what he thinks is the good fight to be strong. And he knows that Darth Vader fell to sentiment. He fell to weakness. And if he had only just at, at, the, at that one bad moment had not weakened, that the galaxy would be where it's at and the First Order wouldn't need to be this imperial splinter. It would just be the Empire proper and everything would have been fine. Um, and Snoke is his Ben Kenobi. Snoke is like, stay strong, kid. We have a big mm-hmm. challenge ahead of you. Your father has now is now in the game. And... You're going to have to deal with him, and you know what that means. And you'd better start thinking about whether you're strong enough to do this, because otherwise, you're in danger of falling to the light. You know, yeah. so what, what a great way of of inverting it. Uh, everything seems to be kind yeah. of a bizarre image. Yeah. By the way, that look that Harrison Ford gives um, Daisy Ridley there—it it just leads me to believe that because there's everyone's always looking at her and going, "God, it's almost as if." She reminds them of someone. Yes. Mm. There was, there's a theory out there that some uh, girl came up with that I thought was brilliant, which is that Ray could, in fact, be Han Solo's kid. But during that Jedi purge, uh, their kid died. You know, like the, that everyone died there, including their eight year old daughter who was sent to train with Luke. And so, so this girl has grown up and they, she's, it's their daughter right in front of them, but they don't recognize that because they never, they're not looking for her. They were, they were told that the kid died, and yet what had really happened is that Kylo Ren, that was the one Jedi trainee that he couldn't kill. He couldn't kill his sister, and he took her and hit her on Jakku. 
hoping that she would never resurface and that, you know, his master would ever find out that he showed that level of mercy, you know, but there's all wow. these looks that people give them Harrison Ford looking at her like, you know, and there's another look that Harrison gives her later on. And it's, I, I would love to see these things amount to something in a later movie. I would, I would, I would actually personally be a little bit disappointed if I learned, you know, Oh, Ray is actually just, you know, Phil Smith's daughter. <laughs> Because at that point, I'd kind of feel like, well, the Skywalkers have done more harm than good in this case as a family. You know, the, the Darth Vader thing was a big mess up. The Luke Skywalker thing was a rousing success. Now the Kylo, thing, Kylo Ren thing has now sent the Skywalker family on the dark side balance once again. Well, Sam, I can't tell you how, dis, uh, how, how depressed I was after finding out that that X-Wing uh, uh, helmet that we see Ray with was not Luke's, that the flight suit yes. that she turned into a doll was not Luke's. Yes. I, I was really uh, I was really bummed because I thought those were wonderful visual clues. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of siding with you here. I'm coming back around to the idea that if she's not somebody uh if she's just nobody that's a maybe a, a lost opportunity well i just i think it diminishes the skywalker line i think that george has always said that the star wars movies are a family soap opera and i think there's a great symmetry in doing the grandfather and then you know the grandfather and the grandmother then the then the uh son and the daughter and then the grandchildren I just mm-hmm. and and then from there, you know, you have all these other movies, Rogue One, all these wonderful movies where you can go off and different tell different stories about different characters that are important in their own way. But I feel like the saga movies needs to be about the Skywalker family. Yes, I think that's that's important. Couldn't agree and, with uh, you more. I could not agree with you more. Yeah. Now we have Warwick Davis in here somewhere, don't we? Yeah, Warwick, we do. Yeah, he, he turns around in a another scene here once. Uh, Han walks in, and uh, I'll, I'll point him out to you. She, there she is. There, there he is. is, right there. That's Warwick, yep. that guy, ah. that little guy who turned around. He's a little dude with the snout, yeah. I love the green guy be- behind Han right now. You don't really see him too well. I spotted him in some of the the Blu-ray documentaries. He's a cool green guy with a long neck. He looks, looks like something off an Iron Maiden album cover. <laughs> right. But, I mean, you know, give us the action figures. Everyone, every single one walking through here. That big fat boss right. with his <laughs> weird dominatrix slash court jester girlfriend. Uh, a little I, Harley Quinn there. A little Harley Quinn with bushy eyebrows. You know, it's like <laughs> Harley Quinn with Martin Scorsese's eyebrows. By the way, guys, I got to ask, and Jim, I don't know if this has come up on Oxygen or not, but has there been a a release of this uh, Lin-Manuel piece that was done for this? Jason, there hasn't. No, to to the best of my knowledge, there's nowhere where we can readily find this track, the studio recording of this track. So we only get just this. Well, all it is is basically uh, ambience. It's it's incidental music here. Uh, I, I think sooner or later we will get some sort of release. If it probably will come from the composer himself, as opposed to being like an expanded soundtrack release. But hey, we could get both. Who knows? Yeah, here's, yeah. Now here's the great moment, Sam, where Kylo is the doing mask. the mask acting, and I, I think it's... this is the best example of the film of that. And I do like the fact that he is, you know, the camera. It, cameraman is like trying to keep him in frame and failing and that's that is giving us an emotional value that this guy is inside the mask he's freaking out he's 
he's caged and he's slamming against walls and he's trying to figure out what the right thing to do here is. And, you know, his mask is, if anything, it's ceremonial to honor his grandfather. And, um, and here we go. And there is his grandfather, or at least the remains of, of one very particular side of his grandfather. By the way, this, uh, this prop that was used was sculpted by the original, the master Brian Muir. Brian Muir. Uh, sculpted the, uh, the charred version. You know, there, there have been some redesigns that people have put out on the web of Darth Vader and some very scary things like, oh, you know, it could have been this or could have been that. You know, a lot of artists, you know, being creative and there's some wonderful things where you see really horrific versions of Vader that are just terrifying to look at. But what Brian Muir did was strike a balance between scary but also um, this honorable samurai warrior type thing because you have to understand this guy is also working with the imperial military. He's not, he's not trying to be the boogeyman. This is, mm. this is an armored suit that's meant to keep him alive but it is also, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a suit of, of Sith Knight armor is what it is and mm. it is not it's meant to inspire some fear in your enemies, but also respect from, from your uh, contemporaries. To, so to go too terrifying doesn't make a lot of sense. He becomes right. the scarecrow, right? He becomes, yeah. you know, something different. Whereas, you know, the Vader mask, as it was established, is someone who can go and talk to military personnel and say, do this, do that, and blah, 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 you know, and, and yet go into battle and be this terrifying visage, you know? Like, medieval armor wasn't designed to be... Um, it's terrifying. It was designed to be fearsome. Right, you know? right. You know, the, the Vader mask often gets referred to, especially in earlier texts, as something that is gruesome. The gruesome Dark Lord of the Sith. You know, and I always thought of, you know, maybe gruesome on the inside, but on the outside, more intimidating than gruesome. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Now, do you think they committed enough with the character of, of Maz Kanata. Did they, did, does it feel to you guys that they ran out of time to uh, give us more of her character? Or do you feel that they just left the right amount of mystery to her? Well, I think they're trying to establish a, a Yoda-like edge to her, give her a mysterious past. We're not supposed to know enough about her. I think we learn about her via her teachings. But as far as her actual chronology and history, I think that was purposely left vague. Well, you know, the, giving her the age that she does, it, she's the, um, at least what it seems to be in, in these scenes, that the purpose is to offer the broader perspective. You know, she's looking around and trying to see people for what they are and, and uh, looking at Han Solo saying, you're a rebel, go be a rebel. And yeah. looking at the other guy and being like, all right, you're the cowardly lion, so... <laughs> yeah, like, like, let's get to, this. Yeah, let's you know, get this on the road. Yeah, right. just go ahead and run. You're going to run be anyway. Be the cowardly, be the cowardly line if you have to be, if that's where it goes. And then you're a rebel. Be a rebel. Um, and here's the broad historical uh, context that we're against the dark side. That's the only thing that really matters here. And the the one that puzzles her is is Ray. Like, wait, but what are you? And mm. as I said, she is the living virgins of the force in this particular trilogy. Sam, you were talking earlier about Han and the way he looks at Ray and what his relationship might be with her. But at that moment, when Maz asks Han, who's the girl, that's a moment where we might actually get some clarity and definition as to yes. who she and is. They, and they, they cut away, they cut away. And I, you, I, you know, I, I would love it if, 
the implication is Han's like, yeah, you know, he picked her up and blah, blah. Well, but, but there's something more, Han. And he's like, I, I don't want to talk about it because it reminds him of a dead, his dead daughter or reminds him of, you know what I mean? Like there's something going on that they're implying. And, you know, I just hope that, that they have something very cool to add to the mix in the next two movies so that we can come back and watch this movie with, um, with a greater sense of understanding of what these moments are actually about, you it know, because this seem... movie, this really move, this movie does push it a little bit when it comes to that, because the original star Wars did not have you walking away going, I wonder who Luke's father was. It, didn't do that. <laughs> it was right. a complete movie. The empire strikes back was a continuation, but also a complete movie. And the, the mind blowing thing, it left you on a cliffhanger for sure. But the cliffhanger wasn't designed to make you go, uh, what what's it, what was happening in this movie? The cliffhanger was designed to make you go, I want to see the next movie. And this one, you know, goes a little bit deep into the whole, what's happening in this movie? And it's like, that's a big risk with your mystery box, Mr. Abrams, because you better have some good answers, you know? <laughs> it is, because, you know, it's like, if, if you want to have mystery in your movie, it's better that you not let anyone know uh what it is that you're driving at or what it is, what the big gaping questions are. Let them come up with their own questions. But, you know, there was no real effort to do that in the first, in the original Star Wars movies. So they're taking a risk here for sure. But I'm definitely, obviously, on board to see where it goes. And, uh, and you know, this, it'll be definitely a fun journey for sure. I mean, but if nothing else, I am invested in who Ray is and I really would like to know what you know what she's about and I'm certainly curious as to what she was told on set well here's the big moment Sam and maybe yeah. you can walk us through this let's get into the mind of Whitwer here and uh <laughs> why don't you walk us through this moment once Ray grabs Luke's lightsaber and she gets that vision in the force well, a, lot of wanna... want, a lot of people want to call it a force back. I know, you know, as in a flashback, but I think she's seeing visions of the future as well. What do you think, Sam? Well, what's happening here, if you want to get, you know, Star Wars metaphysical, you know, go to the Clone Wars, see the arc where the children build their own lightsaber and they go into the cave to confront their fears and their issues. And once they do that successfully, if they do it successfully, they are provided with a, a a crystal, a kyber crystal calls out to them that was always meant to be theirs. And what's happening with this lightsaber is that the kyber crystal inside that lightsaber that once revealed itself to Anakin and then later found its way to Luke, that kyber crystal is now calling out to Rey. You know, that, so essentially the weapon, you know, the force is trying to put her in touch with, with that crystal that weapon and this flashback i i feel like this has got to be part of ray's history you know this notion that there was a man standing above her that that looked like he was going to kill her and a red lightsaber stabbed that man before she could be taken and then the last moment you see kylo ren walking toward her for a moment and the next thing you see is her being dropped off on jakku you know it seems to me that kylo is responsible for her being on jakku and that for some reason spared her couldn't kill her that this is a younger Ben Skywalker or Ben Solo that could not could not pull the trigger, um, but yeah, the uh, you know we've never seen a lightsaber doing these things, acting as if it has some sort of level of consciousness, like the One but Ring. The, right, exactly. Now, but what is happening here is again, and I'll go into it a little bit. The Force is attempting to rebalance itself. 
And what it does when it needs to do that is it creates a vergence in the force. The uh, first example of that that we see in the movies is you, you have this horrible thing happening behind the scenes. You have Palpatine and, and a thousand years of Sith from Darth Bane, a line uninterrupted from Darth Bane all the way to Palpatine, slowly eroding the Republic from the inside, creating a, an Illuminati, if you will, or like, you know, a secret society that is, that is financially corrupting the Republic, that is politically corrupting the Republic, and that is building power and influence and also eroding the guardians of peace and galaxy, the Jedi Knights. And then it isn't until Revenge of the Sith that is, you know, it's, it's the Phantom Menace when Palpatine finally makes his move and becomes the Chancellor and, and uh, the Sith finally reveal themselves. And it isn't until Revenge of the Sith that Palpatine drops all pretense and gets rid of all of, you know, the, the disguise and the subterfuge and finally becomes himself publicly, finally at last. It's the best day of his life at the end of Revenge of the Sith. But this man Palpatine had been working his entire life for that. You have this horrible imbalance because he's already making the galaxy a worse place. So what does the Force do? Because things are now becoming out of balance. The Jedi's vision is being clouded. There's something that needs to be balanced out. So the, the Force creates a virgins located around a person in, in the, uh, by the name of Anakin Skywalker, destined to bring balance to the Force and, equal, and, and to balance the other side of Palpatine. You have Palpatine on one side and you have Anakin on the other. And I'll get deeper into what happens from then on um, in a little bit because I want to sort of space this out, you know, and show some force yeah. stuff when well, I talk about it. And we want to see this very uh, subtle and layered performance here by Domino Gleason. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, really, really toned down. Really, uh, yeah, like you said, Jason, a lot of subtlety, a lot of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look at his head about about ready to explode. Um, David Collins' <laughs> wife, uh, Lauren. Yeah. Lauren Sadowski came up with, you know, because we were all wondering, like, Tarkin would never have talked this way or, you know, Moff Jarrett or any of the Imperial, you know, General Veers, Admiral Piet. They would never have freaked out like this. They were all older and more seasoned. And Lauren said, well, that's why this is the perfect guy for to be leading the First Order's Starkiller base. He's a Hitler youth. You know, he's indoctrinated from, from childhood. And because he's younger and fully formed, he's more unpredictable and more dangerous. I mean, he could kill all of his troops and, and, and if he felt like there was a good enough reason, he would do it without question. You know, this guy is not, he was not raised in any kind of rational or balanced way. So it's all he's ever known. Yeah. It's so, so, you know, this is the you know the first order is the is the empire junior and this whole movie is about the it's the coming out party for the for the first order the first order has been building weapons of mass destruction in secret areas of space hidden away from the republic the republic has been helping to fund princess leia's little watchdog group that's been keeping an eye on them and they've been using that you know they they were enraged by that but they've also been using that as an excuse to say that the Republic is rotten and needs to be defeated. Well, they would have come up with anything, any excuse they could anyway because they've been smarting since the peace treaty. It's been too restrictive. They want the control of the galaxy, and all they have right now is a section of space off in the corner somewhere. They develop Starkiller Base and their new Star Destroyers and their new weapons in secret, and this is the moment where they want to reveal themselves to the, to the, to the galaxy at large and state that they are the new empire. And to have someone 
you know, at the con- command of that base who has so much to prove, like General Hux, makes him a very, very dangerous man. Same thing with Kylo Ren. These, these are younger characters who are not ready to be Grand Moff Tarkin. They're not ready to be Darth Vader. And so they are, in some ways, more dangerous and more unpredictable. Wow. Um, in, in, in certain ways. I mean, Vader is more dangerous in that he can get things done in a more efficient way. And, and Tarkin knows exactly what he's doing, and, and he will make better tactical and strategic and political moves. But these guys are crazy. That's the thing. Kylo Ren and uh, and Hawks are insane. Absolutely. They've had pitch, pitchers and pitchers of the Kool-Aid served up to them, yes. and they've just drank it dry. And that's all they believe in. It's their whole ideology. And you sort of see that with a young Anakin Skywalker in a way. He gets wrapped up in his emotions and a different sort of ideology at a young age. Jedi Order, he was yeah. extremely dangerous at that point in time. And, uh, you know, probably making his mark more so then than he ever did, you know, in the Black Armor. Rogue, yeah. One, Rogue One may, may you know, prove some interesting uh, um, ideas and concepts as far as what Vader was up to during that time. But as of right now, we have to consider Darth Vader's most dangerous time was that moment when he was still... Anakin Skywalker, and he was turning on the Jedi. Here we got Ray with that blaster again. The mysterious blaster that she has at the end of the film. I don't know why I obsess on this so much, guys, but you'll notice when Kylo Ren, he pins her down. Yet, at the end of the film, she has the same blaster. So, either the Millennium Falcon had several of them on board, BB-8 picked it up in the forest, or... uh, Chewbacca just knew what brand it was and, and got her. And got him another one. Here's, here's David, David Collins. Collins. Yep. Here's David, David Collins, Stormtrooper. David Collins' voice right here. Sam, please point out the Stormtroopers that you provided the voice for as well. Because well, there uh, were some in the beginning of the film that I didn't point out. Who were and they? I would never point out. Oh, well, no, we want you to. We... No, um, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, if you want to know a full list, there's a, I believe it's on StarWars.com and somewhere. There's, a, there's an audio map that Matt would wait i want to talk about this yes Did you see that moment with harrison ford where he shot the blaster yes and he shot it behind his you know to the side behind his back and hit a stormtrooper without looking without looking now you know there's two there's two ways you could look at that one is jj abrams being a little bit too fancy Right. In a way that isn't really in the spirit of Star Wars, frankly. You know, you shouldn't have, you know, he's so badass. He's like, he's like Hawkeye and he shoots the arrow. And, you know, that's no, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, dude. You go to hell. <laughs> but what I like about the performance that Harrison Ford did, because it always stuck with me. I'm like, I don't, I'm not crazy about that moment, but there's something that Harrison Ford did that I liked. And why is that? And I realize it's because he fires, but then he looks. And as you, as he looks, you can see his arm go slack as if he was surprised that it happened. No, but here's the thing. Here's the and, and I and I wish that they had gotten coverage from the other side because clearly Harrison Ford is making a surprised look with his face, right? So either what's happening there is Harrison Ford is a good actor and he goes, JJ, I know you want me to shoot this guy over here, but I'm not going to do that without being surprised because that's ludicrous. No one can do that. <laughs> so he's either he's either just bringing a little reality to a lucky shot, or everyone was on board and that's the statement they're making about Harrison Ford's character, Han Solo, is that the force is actually with him. That, that he may not have the ability that, say, Anakin Skywalker had, or he may not have the ability that, uh, you know, Luke or Leia had, 
but there's something about it that those crazy piloting maneuvers and the things that he's been able to pull off are part of a a very particular style of force sensitivity that isn't the same type of force sensitivity that say would work for the Jedi, but ex- it exists. You know, if you watch that shot, it isn't it isn't the Hawkeye thing in in you know in the Avengers where he shoots an arrow behind his back, doesn't even look, and it's just he's just like okay, so he's a super guy and he can just do whatever he wants, and you're like, hey, make make like you're shooting arrows at the green screen, and we'll make it make sense later. You know all that. It's not that. <laughs> Harrison Ford fires the stormtrooper, drops, and then he looks, going what? And his arm goes slack as if he was surprised. I subscribe to the idea that it's a little hint that. He is part of this, uh-huh. that, you know, that that uh, the force is, in fact, with him in a way that he does not comprehend. Well, yeah. we've seen he it a little it bit before. Button. We've seen Boba Fett. Boba Fett, where? That's right. It's the right button. Yeah, that's right. That he's 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 not lucky. He's uh, he's actually got something about him that he doesn't even understand. And it's and great I, timing, considering he was just on board the Falcon, revealing what he knew about the reality of the Force. He had right. not only come to terms with it, he firmly knew that it was a real thing. The Force is a real deal. And, yeah. and nobody knows that better than Han Solo, yet... What I, I like what you're proposing here, Sam. He actually possesses a little bit of force sensibility himself, or maybe it's just his his proximity to those who are powerful in the force. Somehow he gets he gets surrounded in a little bit of a force bubble that guides his actions occasionally. In West End games terms, he gets an extra force point. Um, uh, in, in FFG, <laughs> he gets an extra destiny point usage for free. Just so you guys can like you know keep up with the gaming side of things. I don't want you guys to be lost. No, no, it's all right. We're, we're sp- <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Jason's got I, a pocket full of D20s, and uh, we're ready that's to rock. Right. I got my, my six, eight, what is it, 12-sided dice, 13-sided dice right here. Oh, look at this, and then she's just shooting with this. Nothing she can do. It's like, <laughs> oh, screw you. <laughs> Hands oh, down. Total, it's this moment. It's like Dulce Doom at the beginning. It's like total hypnosis. He's like he's going to be using the force to hypnotize her. <laughs> well, this this freezing this freezing thing is something that we've not seen before. I do like it. I love I love the idea of the force used to uh, to bind someone. Yeah, of telekinetic use. Um, now he's just showboating with the saber, you know. Oh, if, if villain monologuing a bit. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Now, now he's using total hypnosis to try to. What did you have for dinner? And uh, <laughs> why, who, you know, who was your first kiss and your first boyfriend and stuff like that. On the Blu-ray, they show uh, in the documentary they show a, a bl- brief sequence of Daisy screen testing. That scene, that sequence yeah. where her mind is getting probed and sh- she's crying on command. And uh, it- it's really great to see that, you know, I mean, that's really something I think she brought to the table in a major way. Oh, she's fantastic. Her, yeah, that was a great audition that she gave. Now, Ray, you know, now, Finn is now finding himself to be, you know, he's fighting for one reason. It's for her. You know, he's kind of. It, it seems like he's falling for her, and it's yes. crazy. And uh, yeah, that's it, you know he's willing to fight given a good enough reason. You know, Gosh. he can find courage, but only if the reason is good. Yeah, she's his why, for sure. Yeah. 
I love I love Kylo's ship. I I know that there was some criticism of it, but uh, I I just love that bat shape. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's ominous. It tells you everything you need to know about Kylo Ren yeah. with that ship. I I do enjoy it. Leia's ship is like a harmonica. I it's call a that, flying harmonica. Yeah, it's that's, true. It's that's true. a harmonica yeah. ship right there. I love this moment. I loved Princess Leia's theme being reintroduced by John Williams. I, I, really, I really loved the Carrie Fisher. Um, it, it was so undeniably Leia to me. Oh, and C-3PO, human-cyborg relations. And this is a great little thing. He's got a red arm, you know, denoting that there's been some history and some things that have not gone according to plan mm. with these people. Um, but this is a, you know, this is a, I, I loved these scenes. My, some of my favorite scenes in the whole movie were, were these two and, uh, seeing this relationship and when wondering, you know, like when were the good times, when were the bad times? And, and you know, I, I'd like to think that for a while this worked, this worked pretty well. And then at the, uh, loss of Kylo Ren, the, you know, that splintered the family. And yeah. that was really when it went down. But Princess Leia, or General Leia, General Organa, <clears throat> she's the strongest character in all of the Star Wars movies. She's the one that loses the most and keeps fighting. You know, and, and, and I, whenever you see a movie about a woman who loses her son or loses a child or loses a daughter, you know, something like that, there's always like, <clears throat> it's always like the guy who's like, Honey, hey, we—it's—it's it's us. It's all about us, and we can stay together. And it's always the woman that goes, "You didn't carry him. You don't understand what it's like." You know, and it's just this—the woman just uh-huh. just falls to pieces. <laughs> and what I liked about this is that they reversed it, that it was Han Solo who couldn't handle the loss of Ben, and it was Leia who kept fighting. And I—I I really. I really enjoyed that because you imagine the young hotshot Han Solo who pretends like nothing gets to him, you know, wouldn't have been um, brought to his knees by that, you know, by that. And he would have kept fighting. But no, it's really it's the it's it's Leia. It's the mother. And the mother is a is an untapped resource in the Star Wars universe. We have a lot of things about the father, but we haven't really gotten into the uh, strength of the mother yet. And I, I think Leia represents that very, very well. And I would love, you know, it'd be great if at some point in the future that they created a movie where where a significant mother, you know, um, explores that and what that means in relation to the Force and those themes. Hmm. Could be Ray's mother. That's it. Could be your mother. <laughs> <laughs> My Schwarzenegger's not great tonight, guys. I'm sorry. For the, for the people that I think it's fantastic. Yeah, the essence is definitely there. Whatever. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Stop whining. <laughs> All right. So, Paul, so, so Leia, Leia, you know, she meets Finn for the first time. But nobody really explains to Leia anything really about Ray. Um, well, they did off screen. They just like, I know about the girl, you know, that whole thing. But they haven't met. Oh, this is a great little moment. Really? I, you know what? If, if there's anything I could be critical about this film is that moment. I can't, really? I like that. I can't. Who is, who is this woman and why is she talking to the great war hero Chewbacca the Wookiee like that? You must be very brave. What, what is she pandering to him? Speak to him with respect. Well, 
Well, wait a second. Hold on. But you, you look at the woman's age. She definitely fought in the rebellion. They they have probably met before these two. You know. I need backstory. <laughs> we'll ask Pablo. Why don't you talk to Leland? Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? You know, as 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 important as it was to get the characters of Ray and Finn uh, correct, uh, it was also very very important for. Kazdan and JJ to construct these scenes with uh, Han and Leia, uh, yeah. and, and make those pay off. Uh, make- and uh, here's uh, R two, who we miss very much. Every time that we're away from him, we're always thinking about him. You know, I, I don't get the feeling that BB eight is as foul mouthed as R two D two. R two D two seems like he's constantly swearing at people and, and telling you know. Oh, for sure. Yes. You know, where sure. seems a little bit more of an innocent soul. Which, you know. Well, 3PO often would tell R2 to watch his language. Yeah. So, and you never hear BB-8 being reprimanded reprimanded by it like that. For his he's, language. He's, BB-8 has not been corrupted yet no, by R2-D2. No. But if he ends up going out drinking with him, then yes. it's like, it's all over. Yeah, they belly up oh. at the droid bar with Chopper, and then it's oh, all dude. over. <laughs> yeah. Chopper ah. being alcoholic of astromech droids. <laughs> he's, he he's problems. Chopper was such a nice kid too, and you know, early on. But you know, the, the I, I, we certainly love the droids. And there's been, uh, you guys have read that George Lucas's um, theory as to who the ultimate narrator of Star Wars is. Well, you heard about this? Yeah, is it, it is R two? But it's R two D two that he yeah. feels that the Star Wars movies are told in the Journal of the Wills, and they were told to the Wills 100 years after the events of the movies by R2-D2, who was there. And, you know, it sort of makes sense because certainly R2 was always painted in a very heroic light. He saved every major character's life at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... <laughs> so he comes across so well because he's writing the book. Right. The right. Argue, yes, he's the, the argument can be made that there is some writer's embellishment going on when referring <laughs> yes. to his own actions and uh, contributions to the war effort. Whereas actually R2-D2 was like an adulterer and a, and a little bit of a, a he was a he had a gambling problem and none of this comes out in the movies. Like, you know, then oh, she just wakes up and she's like, where am I? And, and uh, she's, uh, she's scared. But then there's this guy and he's like, hello. I'm here. Let's see, how are you? How are you doing in there? Uh, you afraid of me, but there's nothing to be afraid of because because uh, you're my guest and stuff. And uh, <laughs> and this <laughs> and Dante, okay, so don't worry because underneath I'm just a ninny like that guy from Girls. And <laughs> I'm like a skinny, scrawny little dude, and who's uh, which, by the way, Adam Driver is not. Um, he's he's a pretty big guy. Um, those ashes, apparently, uh, JJ said that they were because I always assumed that they were Vader's ashes. Yes. So I'm like, you know, what other ashes would they be? Right. But the one thing I, the problem I have with it is like, why is it in the torture chamber? Why is Vader's? Why are Vader's ashes in the torture chamber? And then JJ said recently that those ashes are the ashes of the people he's killed. And then you go, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good for you. Good. Well, that's not nearly as weird. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did like the Vader's ashes concept, and we were running right. with that for a number of months, but I did read that J.J. article. 
So uh, he incinerates people and then saves their remains so he has a place to put his helmet. Or I think he was just improvising there. I don't think he normally takes his helmet off in the torture chamber. This is a rare moment for him. This is a rare moment. And I'm glad they did it because I wanted to know. You you start building this man's psychology. When you see his face, you get a lot. And this... this, um, so now we have this 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 mind probe and and the notion here is that Ray is extremely and significantly strong in the force and to uh to sort of paraphr- paraphrase Dave Filoni as he talks about the force and hey I'm not going to tell you guys what's really <laughs> happening here but I'm going to tell you things that are going to drive you crazy yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to lie but I'm not really lying because it's a certain point of view yeah, right. that right. <laughs> well, a man who I love dearly by the way Dave Filoni is like one of my favorite people on the planet and we've worked together quite a bit um, talking about things like this yeah. but the way that he would describe it is that Ray whether she's been trained as a child or not, she is like Anakin, um, someone who was born with, say, like it, Bruce Lee's genes for martial arts. That's what she is to the Force. That that she has. That everyone has the Force. Everyone has it. But some people have it in specific ways, and some people have it in ways that can be manifest in you know with these Jedi feats. And some people are extremely incredible at that. Now. If, you know, if uh, Bruce Lee never trained in the martial arts and he maybe got into a fist fight with a guy who had some some pretty good training in the martial arts, Bruce Lee, just as a matter of genetics, might win that fight completely untrained because just who he is, his abilities, his natural inclinations. You know, Dave Filoni is an incredible artist that that Drew Struzan is an incredible artist. That's something that you were born with. It's a certain way that you process information. It's something that, that I've also seen, speaking of Drew Struzan, I've seen it passed on to his son and his grandson. Like, and you know, I've seen his grandson just making little doodles and they are way advanced, way advanced for a kid of that age. And his son is an, Drew, Drew Struzan's son, Christian is an incredible painter, you know, and, and you just go, this is not just training. There is, there is something there. There is a, there is a genetic, talent an inborn talent or something that it gets passed on and the force is the same way that everyone has it it's with everyone but in the ways that it manifests in the ways that the jedi manifested and the sith manifested that is a very specific talent and so you know if ray you know is working on on her training she is going to get things much faster than say someone you know like you could actually try to train han solo and using the force and maybe after well, I don't know. I just made the argument that Han is strong in the Force. Let's go with, say, Wedge Antilles. Wedge might train for a long time, and you might, might after a year, get him to push a marble across the floor with his mind. But Anakin would pick that up in three weeks. You know? It's right. that type of thing. Right. And, and that is part of this whole thing. Strong in the Force, Virgins of the Force, all that, that different stuff. Um, Here we have Roger Moore. As the <laughs> that's not Roger. What? Uh, no, no, no. That's Timothy Dalton. In oh, the- I'm sorry. I always get them mixed up. Yeah, come on, man. Um, yeah, Daniel Craig in the stormtrooper outfit, um, and doing the voice, which I think is fantastic. I love that. I love. I just it. don't we finally have James Bond and Star Wars together. Yeah, I I just think it's you know 
I mean, I, I mean, I, I voiced a lot of stormtroopers, and you know, we're not talking about that too much, but you know, and he he voices one. Everyone's talking about it. You're crazy. He's only voiced stormtroopers. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. I've voiced like five of these guys. You know what? I'm out. I'm out, guys. I'm hanging up. I'm done. <laughs> Sam, aren't you also the voice of the deaths or not the Death Star, the the Star Killer base? PA guy? Probably. Aren't you? Probably. Yeah. I don't know if I am, but probably. I know that I'm like (laughs) some of the, oh, here's a little trivia. These two stormtroopers were originally voiced by Matt Lanter and James Arnold Taylor. And uh, I think they cut it because they just didn't do stormtrooper voices the way that I do. I mean, you know, (laughs) whatever. No, no, guys, whatever. They're great in their own way. But it's like I said about the force. It's like, I'm, I have the force for stormtrooper voices. (laughs) For sure. So now, okay, so Starkiller base moves, I guess. It, it actually doesn't. There, now, there's something that's not as clear in this, but it, it's visually there. Starkiller base is reaching through hyperspace to pull the power from a sun. And, and what happens is, you know, like, remember how at the end of the movie you're going to see, uh, it's like it looks like a window, like a letterbox sun rather than a round sun. And that's a hyperspace effect. And there's Admiral Ackbar. And so, uh, yeah, they, I feel like there needed to be a moment where, like, Admiral, and he's like, uh, I don't think it's a trap. You know, and like, oh, okay, well, trap. we should then go ahead with the attack. <laughs> Looks good. Uh, Looks good to him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the Starkiller base is, in fact, stationary and built on a planet that is now dying under the weight of all that technology. Um, and and it shoots its beams through hyperspace as well, which is why it's such a terrifying weapon. So it has it has the ability to uh, grab the, harness the power of of any star, yeah. uh, as long as it can reach through this this hyperspace. Yeah, I'm sure there's limitations. Like I would I would guess because it's hyperspace that the further the star away is, the longer it takes to drain the energy from the star. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine, but you know, look, I'm not a hyperspace physicist. Shut up, guys. I'm tired. <laughs> you know, that, that stormtrooper crack. I'm not going to let it go. You guys really have a lot of apology to to you know give me. Never. That's just thing. How they say <laughs> one owes apologies to people. Well, that that's what you owe to me. That is it. All right. Well, how about after the movie? No. Well, yes. Because because we probably have more insults coming. You're probably right. Knee numb. Yep. Good guy. Yeah. Nine is is voiced again, Matt would track down the guy who did the voice in the original, which was just like an exchange student who happened to be around uh during Return of the Jedi. And he was able to track him down in some country recently to record him for Nine Numb in this one. John Williams, I love the way that he brings back a more somber version of their love theme, you know, as if it's as David Collins would say. It's always been there and will always be there. That type of thing. Mm. I think it's pretty great. This set is probably the most earthly set we ever see in Star Wars. In my opinion, it just resembles just it's 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 the most typical. There's yeah. nothing, you know, there's nothing exotic about it. It's not the Redwood Forest. It's yeah. not the the desert of Abu Dhabi or Tunisia. There, there's that somber theme. There it is. Sorry. And there. Good. So we're, I'm listening to this without audio, so my timing is a little off. Anyway, <laughs> back, to, back to we're on a, the grassy plains of Earth, you were oh, saying. 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, I it it seems like, and I find it even impossible to believe, but it seems like the universe has shrunk even more so than in the original trilogy with this movie in many ways. It's a, it mm. seems like to be a smaller universe. Well, one. It's you know part of it is I, I appreciated that when the Falcon was chased, it was chased by two Tie Fighters, and that was a very credible threat. And these space battles are not hundreds of ships. There's maybe you know two dozen uh, uh, resistance ships and stuff like that. I like the scale of this movie. I think it's appropriate, and it gives them some place to go with the later movies where you can have giant space battles. Like that Revenge of the Sith space battle is like you know the warfare on the scale that was never duplicated again by the empire versus the rebellion and we'll see what happens you know if if the galaxy at large now that its its government has been destroyed if the galaxy becomes lawless or if the galaxy starts banding behind the resistance you would imagine the resistance would have more resources to throw against the first order at the moment that they blow up the you know the senate um and leia again this is part of a deleted scenes and stuff but leia you know is seen as an extremist and warned the Senate, tried to warn the Senate, like, look, the Empire's still out there. They're called the First Order, and it's a, a splinter of the Empire, but they're there, and they're planning on doing these things. And they're like, yeah, nah, it's fine. Right, it's right. Oh, I'm theme. sure she's considered a warmonger. Yeah, paranoid. Uh, paranoid, right, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, and you get glimpses of that in the book Bloodline. You sort of get the, you know, the flavor of, of what's going on. It's... I do love this, this whole concept of, you know, Finn has not been trained to think for himself or to think in a great level of detail. So him flippantly saying, well, we use a force. And it's like, <laughs> you know, he's single man mindedly thinking of Ray and not thinking of the big picture. And he's a character who was never raised to think in the big picture. You know, this is something he's going to have to learn in the later movies as he becomes more of a real person and not just a stormtrooper recruit. You know, um, these guys are bred to be fanatically loyal and to think about their orders and their mission. And that's about it. Yeah. The details are not uh, up to them to make at all or worry about. Yeah. Now, Phasma. Oh, this is she kind of she kind of folds like a deck of cards here, doesn't she? Yes. What's her motivation like, for, I mean, well, obviously self-preservation. There are some people online who are even speculating that Phasma could be a droid. Or she could be Brienne of Tarth. You just never knew. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like the, the Phasma thing, her giving in is a little bit illogical. I, I, I think that I, I, you know what, if, if, if I may, I don't mean to be overly critical here. That's me and David Collins it. right there talking. You wanted oh. to know who we, the, some of the stormtroopers we did, those two stormtroopers talking about the T-17s, are, that's me and David Collins. You know how I can tell that's you? Hmm. Because nobody does a stormtrooper voice like you. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about this. You're like, you. you're like the chosen one of stormtrooper voices. <laughs> but the, uh, there's a little trivia about that. We are not the first two stormtroopers to talk about the T-17 no. in an imperial remnant. Uh, because that was something that, that actually occurred, and we didn't know it at the time. We just a- improvised some dialogue talking about them not liking the equipment and the new version of the T-17. And in a video game called Jedi Outcast, two stormtroopers were talking about, hey, have you heard about the new T-17? And 
either that was in my mind subconsciously, and that's why I said the dialogue, that's why I made up the dialogue with the T-17, or it was just a wild coincidence. But we would like to think that as LucasArts alumni, we were, we were representing there. Definitely. So now I'm, I'm going to shut up and let you guys. I, I just want to, I do want to say that I think that uh, the whole Phasma concept was a big misfire. I think that something went wrong on the set. Uh, I, I think that perhaps the the actress, very capable uh, actress for sure, but was not maybe comfortable, was not able to move appropriately in the outfit. Um, and so the role was shrunk on screen. And, you know, maybe had we seen more of her or of the character, we might get a better appreciation for what happens here. But uh, the, the, the whole I mean, from beginning to end, it's just she just it never works. I don't think. I don't think it works. The, I think they publicized it too much. It, it would it would have worked better if they never even brought it up. And then you'd be like, oh, yeah, who's that silver stormtrooper? Rather than, oh, my God, it's Phasma. And then you're like, wait, what's she doing? That, yeah, yeah, certainly the, you know, the expectation was, was set. Uh, unlike Boba Fett, who just came in under the radar. Yeah. Uh, was in a couple parades. You know, it's funny you talk about the <laughs> he hype. Was in parade, right, exactly. <laughs> it's funny you talk about the hype because uh, – Jason is always fond of uh, shoving a bunch of popcorn in his mouth when we do these uh, commentary tracks. And, Having uh, one time, <laughs> and so and this you a, said, "Let's have popcorn." In all honesty, um, I did grab a bag of popcorn for the screening. I have right. I mean, listen, you know, I have it right here. It's pop. <laughs> seriously, it's pop secret kettle corn, and yes. it's Captain Phasma on the bag. And yes. the, I haven't opened it yet because I'm a Star Wars collector. <laughs> That's how sick it gets. I couldn't bring myself to snack during this screening. So I have I have the bag of kettle corn right here, but I'm not going to open it because Captain Phasma's on it. So That's I see what you're saying about the hype. Uh, she, uh, You know what? Amazingly, very, very uh, effective on bags of kettle corn. <laughs> They never move so much kettle corn. <laughs> it's you know her her folding with the shield generator would be it would be like me saying to you, Jimmy, Jimmy, I need you to tell me where, you know, I need you to tell me where you and Jimmy Mac live and 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 the people that you love. And you're like, well, wait, what are you going to do if I don't? I'd be like, well, I'm going to shoot you. Well, what if you do? If I do tell you, well, I'm going to kill. Jason Swank. I'm going to kill Swank. Jason Swank's family. I'm going to kill your family and this and that. And, you, right. and, you should, and you're like, oh. All right. Swank well, lives at, uh, write this down. Swank's in <laughs> North Canton, you know, Ohio. Like, Take this down. I'd <laughs> like to think that any one of us would go, well, given the choice, I think you should probably just shoot me. And we'll call it a day. You right, know, um, right. But right. Phasma's like, you're in big trouble, mister. <laughs> <laughs> that is all she really says. But you're see, right, okay, though. See that letterbox? See that letterbox? That's pulling through hyperspace. Do you see how the... The it's it's not a round sun in the sky. It's this weird sort of square. And that's because oh. it's, it's pulling, it's pulling the energy through hyperspace. Anyway, wow, uh, where did you pick that up, Sam? Was uh, that dude, a, I'm from space. Oh, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> at the academy, you went to the academy. I went course, with Biggs. Right. I went with Biggs to the academy. <laughs> Biggs, Biggs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're being way too silly and flippant here. We're we're getting to some serious, you know what here, and uh-huh, uh, we, uh-huh. we we better bring it back down to uh, to terra firma here because uh, things are about ready to get heavy. 
That's right. It's getting kind of hectic. Yeah. And I'm not CNC talking about factory would say. And when I say things are getting heavy, I'm not talking about Greg Grumberg's character. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's getting heavy. Do you know Greg Sam? No, I don't think I do. You do? No, no. I, I know who he is. I've just never met him. Snap. So here they come after their big snow speeder chase that we see in the deleted scenes. I never well, noticed the stormtroopers really get thrown around in this movie, don't they? I never they noticed do. that she was wearing his Letterman jacket yes. in these scenes. Yeah, the Letterman you know? jacket. She is which is so cool that that you know they're they're now going steady. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's very chivalrous. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> in a high school way. <laughs> yeah, they're going together. They're going together. Um, by the way, I, I do think that Peter Mayhew and and who's the guy who did the other Chewbacca? Jonas. I thought they did a great job bringing Chewie to life. I, I want to call them out and say, hey, well done in reestablishing this character for us because it felt like Chewbacca. It it really did, and it's wonderful. Now, you, Jimmy, it, Jimmy, do you do you uh, pick out or or look at the, some of the scenes and say, oh, there's Peter, there's Jonas? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, yeah, and right now we're seeing a lot of Jonas. As yeah, we sure. do, as we do in a majority of the film, yeah. um, look for Chewie in the cockpit. Look for Chewie with uh, Doctor uh, whatever her name is. You must be very brave. That's Peter Mayhew. <laughs> That's clearly, <laughs> clearly Peter Mayhew. Yeah. Um, I think it's most noticeably Peter Mayhew at the very end of the film when they're uh, Ray when and he Chewie. Looks at Ray. Yes, mm. when he looks at Ray, he's got that head tilt. You're clearly seeing Peter's baby blues, and that is. Peter Mayhew, but I think for the majority of the film we're seeing Jonas. Well, let's talk about how Peter Mayhew and what he brought to Chewie for a second, because because David Prowse famously said that he was given, there's that letterbox, that he was given um, the choice between Darth Vader and Chewbacca, and he decided to go with the villain. And and when you we've now all been to enough cons where we see people wearing the Vader costume, and it's not everyone that that can handle that costume. Generally, the costume kind of wears the person a lot, mm-hmm. and they get overwhelmed by it. Uh, whereas David Prowse just, you know, did a hell of a job commanding with the presence of Darth Vader physically. So if he'd played Chewbacca, Chewbacca would have been this mighty warrior. But Peter Mayhew brought this lovable goofball thing to him. And I think that, that gives you this strong warrior thing, but also this just incredible, you just want to hug him type thing. And that was all Peter Mayhew. You, you know, you, you can, you know, the way he tilts his head and the way he runs and walks. And let's now talk about this because this is not getting serious. <laughs> Forget Chewy. <laughs> but, but my hat's off to Peter Mayhew because as someone who's done a lot of physical work, that doesn't just happen by itself. And it's, it's not, you know, oh, it's a great costume. And you know, no, he, he's doing some great physical acting throughout those movies and throughout this movie. So Peter Mayhew, good work. And thank you for making us love him. Um, so by the way, Ben, I would love to know why they called him Ben because Luke would name his kid Ben, but I don't know why, you know, Leia never personally knew Ben Kenobi and Han thought he was an idiot, you know? Mm. Um, and certainly they would have, Leia had respect for him and Han would have later changed his mind about Ben Kenobi and be like, Oh, actually that guy saved all of our lives. Maybe it's that. Maybe he felt like. Ben Kenobi bought them time to escape the Death Star with his future wife. It could be that. That old man saw, did. That old man did get that tractor beam out of commission. Yeah, it'd be, otherwise, it'd be a pretty short trip. Okay, hit it. Yeah, let's <laughs> hit it and let's name our firstborn Ben. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa. This is no, but you know what? I actually just hearing myself work that out out loud. Like, I could buy that Han Solo would go. 
you know that Ben Kenobi guy? I gave him too much trouble. He 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 kill you know, gave him his life so that I could escape with who would be my future wife and my brother in law. This was an important moment and we should not forget his sacrifice. He came to revere the memory of Ben Kenobi. While he couldn't give him respect in the brief time they spent together, that wizard's just a crazy old man. In retrospect, though, he realized the importance of uh, yes. Ben And I'm sure Leia schooled him, too. You know? Yeah, right. She's like, You're a dick. He was him. so cool. Yeah, Have you yeah. seen the Clone Wars? Ben? Come on, <laughs> see the Clone Wars. She sat him down and they watched all six seasons of the Clone Wars. And then when he yes. was done, he just kind of gave her that lopsided grin and he said, I think we're going to name our son Ben. And then they had major sex and conceived. <laughs> the force. Because Leia would have like lost her mind when he said that. She'd be like, you are definitely the guy that I, I wanted to marry. You're, now you've arrived. <laughs> yes, finally. You're yeah. reaching your full potential. I, I, hey, I, by the way, guys, we should, we should actually talk about this performance here. This is wonderful on both of these actors. Well, I, I, I love the twist. I love the fact that you are uh, – they're trying to get you to think that the pain that he's trying to get rid of – is the dark when re- when the reality is the pain, the conflict that he's trying to get rid of is the light. He is the bizarro Luke Skywalker. He absolutely what I, is. What I like about Han Solo's death here is because he doesn't Han accomplishes nothing by this death. He does not buy anyone time. He doesn't create a distraction. He doesn't do you know he accomplishes nothing but walks out onto a catwalk to his own death. But what I like about it is that he has no choice because he loves his son. This is the reason he became a smuggler again. This has defined his life for the past 10 years. And he wants his final act to be an act of love for his son. You know, I mean, he, pro- he probably knows there's a pretty good chance he's not coming back from it. But he can't turn his back on his kid. And I would like to think that if, there, if this sacrifice has meaning, it's the fact that Kylo will not be able to let this go. That, that he thinks he's defeated the light side by this. Because look, Han's last act is an act of love. He touches his son's face mm-hmm. and he falls below. And for this act to have meaning, which I believe it does, because look, he's not, it, the pain is not gone. You look on Kylo's face. He, he says, why am I not feeling as if this is a moment of triumph? And it's because somewhere inside him he knows how wrong this this entire thing is yes and and that's why he goes crazy here at the end right uh, absolutely he this is where he goes off the deep end that's right he, he starts, starts screaming and ranting and and uh you got chewbacca here who shot him with the bowcaster which they've been building up as this extraordinarily powerful weapon and uh and so now he is he is wounded which again i you know we have to keep that in mind that everything that he does after this is is he's wounded and crazed, and uh, that doesn't put someone in a good position to go into a prize fight. And, and Chewie just wants to blow everything up. That's right, blow it up real good. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, he he does he feels the pressure finally too. On top of it all, I mean, he sees what's happening. He sees the destruction of the Star Killer base. So nothing seems for certain here. All he does now is he forgets the cause and just becomes totally hyper-focused on himself. And yeah. well, what does he want? He wants the saber. When he says, well, he he, he says our business isn't finished. Well, you know what, though? Here's the thing, though. 
he says our business our business isn't finished or whatever. We're not done here. He says something to uh, along mm-hmm. those lines to Finn and Ray. What's yeah. so, what, what is he talking about? I mean, these what? two people, well, they've caused him a lot of trouble throughout the movie. So this it's guy, just it's, revenge right now. He's just, he's just after vengeance. Yeah. The map to Skywalker. He was not able to get his hands on that. This woman showed him up with the force The the traitor ended up like helping her, uh, escape from Jakku and all this stuff. It's like, these two people need to die. You know, this is, and here he is bleeding by the way, which I wish they played up a little bit more. So like you, you could understand why this was a little bit more of a fair fight than we think it was, you know? Because this guy is, he's in a lot of pain right now. He's, he's emotionally in a lot of pain. He's physically in a lot of pain. So he's not, he's not firing in all, on all cylinders. Well, he's you smacking know, that could, wound, you know. Yeah, probably. which I think is awesome. It's a very dark side type of thing yeah. that you want, you want to encourage yourself to be aggressive and, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, and so he sees the lightsaber. And as a guy who is collecting Sith artifacts you know, to try to learn about what the dark side is because the Sith have died. You know, that all that knowledge has been lost. Uh, the Emperor did not make it readily available in the, you know, the archives of the Empire. So he's trying to piece together, probably along with Snoke, what they need to learn. His lightsaber isn't quite what it needs to be, but he sees that lightsaber and it's Anakin's lightsaber, his grandfather's lightsaber, Darth Vader's lightsaber. That is a key artifact. And he must have it back. And uh, you know he wants to mod it to give it the red blade. Oh, he yeah, dude. He he wants to give it plus two against um, stormtroopers. By the way, when I first saw the film, I thought that maybe Finn had actually died there. Yes, happened. I I was actually upset, and I thought good good sign. I actually really like Finn. And the fact that he goes from the cowardly lion to a man who has a lightsaber fight against a trained opponent is a wonderful turn. Now, if it is time now, it's time to talk about the Force a little bit. Are you guys are you guys cool with that? Yeah, you oh, know, yeah. I, I wrote it down. Uh, balance of the Force and uh, the virgins. The virgins. And that's what's happening right here. We have a situation where in the prequels, Palpatine and the Sith are destroying the Republic even before the movie begins, Phantom Menace. Even before things are becoming bad, the dark side is gaining power, and what does the Force do to try to balance it? Because if you go back to Mortis, the Force wants balance. You know, the the unifying balance of the Force was the father who was the master of the the land Mortis, the, the planet Mortis. And he had a son and he had a daughter. And when balance was starting to lose... To lose out, he needed Anakin to help restore it, and he tried to charge him with that responsibility. Now, the, now the thing is, you know, Laura Santeca says, without the Jedi, there will be no balance to the Force. It's because if the Jedi just absent themselves, or if the Jedi don't regenerate, they don't come back, if they don't claim the Force as a, as a force for light, someone will inevitably discover the Force and use it for dark. Use it without discipline. Use it without regard for others. Use it to gain things for themselves and to try to fill an emptiness within themselves through the most earthly of means. Not thinking beyond, out of the box. Not thinking about others. Not thinking about you know anything beyond themselves. You know, and then becoming shadows of themselves, turning to the dark side, be, losing their identity, and becoming something monstrous—a shadow of them, their former selves. So, the Force wants balance. Palpatine exists. He's destroying things. The Force 
uh, creates a virgence in Anakin Skywalker to balance Palpatine out. But what does the Sith do? Well, the Sith wants, you know, wants everything for themselves. And, and Palpatine knew that Anakin was the key to achieving balance. But his definition of balance is different. So what does he do? He corrupts the balancing force. He takes Anakin and plucks him from the good side and turns him to bad, thus creating a greater imbalance of the force. By the end of the prequels, you now have two giant force-using uh, you know, badasses who are now imbalancing toward the dark side. So the force wants balance. What does it do? Well, there's two dark side force users, so it creates twins. Luke and Leia, to balance out the force. And these two um, are destined to help bring about balance. And what do they do? With their uh, combined might, they topple the Empire, and they redeem Anakin Skywalker and restore balance to the force. Well, now you have a situation where there is this force user, Snoke, who is now corrupting the galaxy all over again, destroying worlds and doing all this horrible stuff. And he takes with him... Ben Skywalker corrupts him, but the force wants balance, right? So who are the balancing forces? Well, you have Luke Skywalker lost someplace on a planet and there's another virgins to help balance the force, which is Ray. So you have Kylo and Snoke on one end, Ray and Luke on the other. And, uh, and when the force wants to balance things, it, it, manifests in very dramatic ways. Anakin winning the pod race, Ray having this lightsaber fight and having a moment of truth here where she understands the way that she is supposed to be fighting and the way that she is supposed to be approaching this and that it's not about swinging your lightsaber like a maniac. It's about focus and it's about achieving a level of, uh, you know, achieving a level, uh, some level of serenity, which she certainly hasn't mastered here, but you can see that there's a moment of peace before she, uh, goes back into combat. You know, Sam, the, yeah. the, the way I sort of uh, analyze what you've just said is almost like the Sith had it right when they devised the rule of two. In essence, when you get these virgences in the Force, it seems like it comes in pairs. And so mm-hmm. maybe the thing that took down the Jedi was just the fact that they were an organization to begin with. There should only be two. And... uh you know, I mean, that's almost how I, I interpret what you're saying is that the rule of two should extend to the light side as well as the dark. Well, the you know, you can certainly look at it that way. And I know that I know that Kyle Newman and I have had talks like that where that is definitely, I think, a legitimate interpretation. But another interpretation would be that properly trained Jedi with judicious and restrained use of the force does not create an imbalance. imbalance. In fact, it prevents imbalance. It prevents things like this from happening. You know, that that you imagine that over the thousands of years, or the thousand years between Darth Bane and the Phantom Menace, that there could have been horrible imbalances caused by dark force users and, and problems that were prevented by the Jedi before they became big problems the Jedi Knights that lived throughout that period. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that, you know, they became dogmatic and lost their way a little bit. And that, you know, people like Qui-Gon Jinn, who were, were a little bit more uh, pure in their belief of the Force and that, you know, gave rise to Jedi like Luke Skywalker, who, you know, is the ultimate in, in Jedi in terms of the balance within himself. That he doesn't, you know, doesn't shy entirely from attachment. Rey is not shying from attachment here. That, 
it makes it, you know it makes her stronger to be attached to Finn, and Finn is much stronger to be attached to Ray. But they don't take it to an unhealthy extreme like Anakin did, you know. Hence balance. So there's my spiel, guys. Well, I find there, it I interesting, go- you know, after hearing how this was going to be a direct, uh, a direct uh, follow up to the original trilogy. And we were getting all indications that the production crew was largely ignoring the prequels. In the very first sequence of the film, we're hearing things like balance of the force being being referenced by Lor Santeca, balance of the force being a very prequel notion, a, a quality of the prequels that, I mean, every film, the balance of the force was mentioned. So yeah. what do you think the is the force becoming unbalanced at this time? Is it balanced or is it completely unbalanced? I, at, at the beginning of this film, what does Lor Santeca mean? Is he afraid that the Force is going to become unbalanced? What is the balance of the Force? Well, that's up to you to decide, Jimmy. Oh, okay, <laughs> there we go. No, well, no, it's, these it's, are a it's, lot it's, of questions. It's, it's open to debate. I can tell you what I think it is and, and what I've discussed with people like Dave Filoni. And, and he deserves a lot of credit for what I just said, by the way, because... It's in discussions with him that that these types of thoughts have evolved. But, you know, there is – I have some very specific ideas about that, but I I don't want to dominate the entire – I've already dominated this damn commentary too much. No, not at all. No, no, no. (laughs) Not at all. You're the guest. You're the guest. You're the one. They hear from us every week, so. Uh, They want to hear from you and Arnold. That's right. There's this great, and then she's looking there, and she's like, "Hey, I'm you. You're me. That's right. <laughs> and uh, give me a hug because uh, you're like the Princess Leia of like 2016, and and uh, Debbie Reynolds, who's my mom. Okay, she's my daughter. If she was here, she would be hugging both of us, being like, "I'm you. You're me." <laughs> In sequin, of course. That's right. That's right. Um. But yeah, it's there's. there's I think a lot this. Of- I think that you know there's been criticism levied at this scene, and I, I do still feel that the lack of of uh, some sort of embrace of Chewbacca, or at least not even having him in the shot, is sort of yeah. unforgivable. But the connection between Leia and Ray, I think, is is credible in that there's a force connection. There's a there's a profound force connection. Right. Um, yeah. There's some scenes that are better without dialogue and letting the audience make right leap like that right um the, you know a question i do have about this movie is why a map you know is this map you know luke tracking down the uh the first jedi temple and then it's it's a map of the star systems that he visited and in what order and the hyper hyperspace routes to get to the temple that he discovered and somehow passed it to lauren lore santeca but split it up between R2 and Lor Santeca so that people couldn't find it and corrupt it. Is that what's going on here? Like, or, or did they just go, yeah, map would be cool. Right. Mm. Like what, what, what is it? You know, if like, I can, it's not just, I'd like to suggest, like, I'd like sorry. to suggest this is, is, um, Lor Santeca. Apparently he's, he's an explorer. So I'd like to think that Lor went out looking for Luke and never returned. But yet he did find Luke, and somehow mm. he and Luke came to an agreement about keeping his whereabouts confidential until Lor Santeca felt that he had 
to let Leia know. It, it got to lore somehow that Leia needed to find Luke. And so he wanted to uh he wanted to contribute to the cause and so he coughed up the map because recall he does say he'd been holding on to it for a long time. Right. And the well and the, the whole thing is so what is Luke doing at this Jedi temple? Why is it important that he be here? Is he is he you know the last time that people let evil run unchecked um was when the twins were growing up in the original trilogy you know that that ben and yoda and them were not fighting the empire the way that kanan and ezra were um they were hiding out and they were waiting for the twins to get to a certain age so that they could train them as fast as they could to be jedi because if they trained them as children the the empire would find them and sense them and kill them peter mayhew and they wouldn't be able yeah peter mayhew totally and they wouldn't be able to defend themselves. But if you wait for them to be about 20 years old, you can train them quickly and then they'd have a fighting chance and they would have four Jedi versus Vader and the Emperor. They'd have Ben, Luke, Leia, and Yoda. And of course, the plan just goes to hell, um, but still works out. So what is Luke doing that takes him out of action during this time of need? Because Leia has been... I mean, I guess she hasn't been fighting the... Uh, the first order, but Leia is aware that they have her son and she is watching them very closely and maybe having little skirmishes. So how, how is Luke justifying absenting himself from the potential rescue of Ben Solo or the recovery of that character? What's happening on this Island that's so important and, and also needs to be kept secret with a treasure map. You know, that's, that's a big question. Do you think it's so out of character, Sam, for Luke to just say, you know what? I want out of this. I, if it's, I would think that is not the best choice because Luke Skywalker, I feel like that sort of diminishes the character that he would abandon his sister in a time of need, you know? But what if he believes that he's the problem? Well, you know what? Let's ask him. Let's go up on the mountain and ask him All right, right now. Let's, let's go. go. go let's get on. our hiking boots on. Jeez, I'm already out of breath. I, but, I, mean, I who- love... John Williams' uh, oh, score. Don't you want to just put on earbuds, listen to Jedi Steps, and run up all 600 of those those steps? I mean, really, that's the that, With a, a Fitbit on my arm? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> a Fitbit will explode by the time you get to the top. That's right. That's that looks right. like a pretty steep stairwell also. I, I don't know, but I'm going to do it, guys. That's a bucket list. Oh, I, I didn't notice you could see the Falcon down there as she's climbing yeah. up. You know, there's an odd moment here where she reaches... She reaches a, a doorway here. She goes through the doorway, and then they sh- you'll see she'll look down, and there's a box there. What is that box? It looks like a cigar box or something. Camping kit. Yeah, cigar. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's what Luke's been doing on this island all those years, smoking cigars. This is uh, getting a glimpse at Luke Skywalker after 30 years is a real thrill. I mean, my God, it's Luke Skywalker. It's my favorite character from Star Wars because of all the growth that he goes through. I mean, he's the guy that I've been the most curious about in terms of what is he like? What does he think? What is, who is he at this point? What are his abilities? What, is, what does he believe in at this Well, it's, 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 it's interesting to me that here's a character that was, you know, in, in some ways so overshadowed by the coolness of Han Solo Yet, uh, he's the big payoff at the end of this movie. Well, there was a, a poll when they were announcing episode seven, and they said, which character are you most excited to see back from the old cast? Han Solo was second. Luke was first. 
Mm. Luke was first by a lot, by the way, and I think that that's correct. I mean, he is the guy. He is he is the eyes through which we see the original trilogy, and Mark Hamill pulls that off so beautifully in those movies. I mean, there's never an unclear moment because he describes that story through his performance. You always know where Luke's at, and you always know what you're seeing around Luke by just glancing at Luke. And uh, and for his growth, you know, in those three movies, and you know, from being the callow youth to being the uh, impetuous semi-adult to being a man, I mean, it's it's an incredible achievement for three movies, and such a patient achievement, mm. you know. And and we owe it to George Lucas and Mark Hamill. That's who we owe it to. Like Mark Hamill had a very clear idea of what it needed to be, and so did George. And they worked together beautifully to create a character that we have been trying to emulate for the past <laughs> 30 plus years. You know, I mean, all of these characters around us, Harry Potter and Frodo, they, these are all characters that are, that are in this day and age trying to be to a certain extent, Luke Skywalker. They are influenced by Luke Skywalker. And yes, someone's going to say Frodo happened before Luke. And I'm going to say, but the movie happened after Luke. And if right. you don't think and if you don't think it influenced that movie, <laughs> Then I'd screw you, Benny. <laughs> so. Well, that's it, guys. We, 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 we can't do another one of these until Rogue One. Let's, right. wa- hey, let's just watch it again. But you know, we, you know what we from could the beginning. do uh, that we've been talking about for a long time, and we were, we were derailed um, quite violently by Lucasfilm um, releasing all this content, these television shows and this movie and all that but what we were going to do just before the force awakens came out we were going to do mortis we were we were and then we yeah. had a scheduling snafu that's and right it was it was lucasfilm releasing too much good stuff too much good stuff and i'll never we'll never forgive them for that well we're getting yeah. our, we're getting our feet back on the ground so i think definitely a mortis trilogy commentary should be the next on our schedule that would be awesome. I'm very much looking forward to diving back into it. I haven't seen it in years, so I, I'm curious as to you know what we're going to see with the Mortis trilogy. Yeah, I just watched it recently, and you see it through different eyes after watching that season two finale of Star Wars Rebels. It all ties in so perfectly. Uh, Jim, yeah. you, do you see clues there, Jim, about the uh, the fate of Ahsoka now that you watched it? Recently, well, it definitely gives you things to sort of uh, use if you want to connect the dots. There's mm-hmm. definitely uh, there's definitely things that that can be applied to what happened with Ahsoka in that season finale for sure. I see. I can't wait to see it again. I mean, it, it's probably been a year or two since I've since I've seen it, and uh, and I, I can't wait to see what clues Dave Filoni is teasing about the Mortis stuff. I mean, I certainly realized that there were. Uh, there it is, Sam Witwer, right there on the screen on your right. It's uh, and it's gone. Additional voices, <laughs> additional voices. I'm sorry, I just. I well, where's my? The where's my the eye. commentary by Jimmy Mack and Jason Swain? Where's that? It's not anywhere to be found on that. I can tell this you that. Is stupid. Why are we even do, putting ourselves through this? This is dumb. I'm looking at the <laughs> uh, the extras right now, and there is an entry now for the uh, iTunes exclusive "Dressing the Galaxy." Costume designer Michael Kaplan reveals how the costumes of the original Star Wars movies were re-envisioned for a new generation. So uh, that is uh, brand new bonus content just added to the digital version. I guess it's uh, only available through iTunes. Only iTunes. Well, I didn't do the iTunes thing. So can you periscope it for me? Yeah, I'll do that right now. All right. 
do it. That's why <laughs> let's comment on it. it. Well, yeah, we'll do a commentary on what? it. Well, you didn't do iTunes. How did you do it then? Uh, Disney through, through the Disney thing. Can I still use the code? I, on you iTunes? know, I think you can. It's it's reciprocal. So I think that um, you can actually tie your iTunes account to your Disney account oh, and no, vice yes, versa. Yes, you're right. I did that with my Amazon. I, I should do that with my iTunes account. You're right. So so you should be able to get it that way. So but, I don't uh, need the Periscope. But, hey, you know what? This was kind of cool, Sam, and I'll tell you why. You're doing a commentary on this film, it's so different than the other films that we've seen so many times and we've debated for some of them for decades now. In this right. one, I'm getting more and more revelations as we're doing the commentary. It's it's a lot more exploring while we do this. It's a lot more realization and enlightenment. Sure. Yeah. That's why they pay me the medium bucks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, in, in, in Grand Star Wars tradition, though, I, I never really lose that quality when I watch something from the original trilogy or the prequels as well. It, it seems like every time, even now, still watching those films, I find myself discovering new things all the time. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, there's, it, there's a depth of, of awesome stuff to dig into. I mean, it, look, it's why, it's why we're Star Wars fans. You know, it's because there's, there's really a, a universe that you can dig into and geek out over. And, uh, you know, I mean, for me, I, I loved the movies growing up, and they definitely captured my imagination. But what what made me a diehard Star Wars fan was reading the West End Games uh, RPG source books and realizing that this universe just kept going and going and going, and that it was you know it was vast, and that the storytelling in it you know was unified under this wonderful morality banner that I really identified with. Um, but you know, it's that kind of thing that you know. So, so being on here and geeking out with you guys about this stuff is you know always such a huge, huge pleasure. Oh gosh, the Likewise. pleasure is ours. I mean, my God, to have you, Sam, laying down your impressive knowledge of the wars on us is always uh, something that that me and Jason really enjoy, and I know our listeners do too. So, thanks for taking time from your busy schedule to hang with us and watch uh, the Force Awakens. I think, guys. That was my fourteenth viewing. Awesome! Yeah, that's 14, awesome. Fourteen. This is a. This has definitely been one of the more fun viewings that I've had of it. Of just you know, just kind of taking it apart like this verbally, you know. Yeah. Very. Cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, the uh, the insights that uh, you can share when you're with uh, like-minded folk. Is, uh, what shall we say? Right-minded folks. Nice. All right. Let's go. There's the right-thinking people, and there's the wrong-thinking people. <laughs> right-thinking people must kill the wrong-thinking people. Very nice. And so, as we watch the credits roll, um, any final? There's words? all there's all these right-thinking people. Oh no, yes. Morgan Dameron is definitely a wrong-thinking people. <laughs> Morgan, of course, the 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 source for for. Poe's Poe's name, name, and and it's too bad that we must we must take her and reeducate her. It's a shame. <laughs> she she needs to have a debriefing. Maybe Arnold could provide that. Let's don't worry. I'll try to get the debriefing to you uh, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Uh, yeah, this has been fun, guys. It's been a lot of fun. All right, Sam. Thank you so much, man. We will. Uh, Talk to you soon, hopefully before Rogue One. How about that? 
Yeah, now that's going to be something, huh? I mean, we got we got a lot more of this stuff coming up, and Rebels is continuing to to impress. I mean, like this is this is fun stuff. Yes, more mall, and uh, more mall and Rebels too. Uh, what? I can't. You broke up there. Wait, what? I couldn't. I'm according, sorry. According to Dave Filoni. What? Oh, yes. Don't ever believe anything that guy <laughs> says to you. Don't buy anything he says. He's a liar. He's a liar. <laughs> um, from a certain point of view. <laughs> um, no, we we do have uh, more mall coming in uh, Rebels, and I'm glad I can finally at least admit that. I mean, I can't tell you how many people... At a con or something, someone will come up and be like, hey, so, you know, would, do you ever think Darth Maul will appear again? And, you know, I'd already recorded several episodes by then, and I had to dodge my way out of so many, you know, questions. <laughs> so it's it's nice to finally acknowledge. But yes, indeed. So what have we learned? The, the force needs balance. Dave Filoni is a liar. <laughs> and, and that Schwarzenegger will re-educate... Uh, JJ's assistant, Miss Dan Rock. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, man. Have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, gentlemen. Talk right. to you guys. Bye bye. Credits are still going. All right, that's it. You heard it. Episode 7 commentary with Sam Whitwer. What a privilege uh, to bring it to you. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, as I say, we'll be back. And it, it sounds like we'll be back sooner than later with uh, perhaps a commentary of the Mortis trilogy from the Clone Wars. What season is that, Jim? So if those want to do their homework in advance, I believe that's season Season three, three yes. <laughs> Season three, second half of season three. You can see it on Netflix. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. Go check it out right now. It's definitely worth watching. And you see it in different eyes after watching that season two finale of Star Wars Rebels. Check it out. Season three of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Until next time, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.